Please, Dr. Hidaka, you look, you take his very old stone about cloud of death. It's a primitive carving of a protochelonian. A what? An ancestral turtle, like the leatherback. Tell me, Chief, is there a legend connected with this? Yes. Old story of death and evil things that happened of Gamera. <laughs> Gamera, you call it? This Gamera is obviously an object of terror. There's a peculiar pattern in the background. Looks almost like waves, doesn't it? Mm. Let's ask the Chief. Is that what they are? I do not know. Only that it is evil and very frightening. I see. I have a feeling that this is something very significant. And that pattern symbolic of something else? Yes, I believe it is. This is not the usual way that Eskimos depict the sea. But what else could it be? I mean, turtles live in water, so that would make sense. Well, perhaps you were right. Still, I think there's much more to this than meets the eye. Welcome to episode 58, 58 of the yes. Bloody Pit. I'm, I'm pretty sure I have the numbering right, although, uh, you know, I could be wrong. Maybe I should check. Our obsessive fans will let us know if we get it. 58, oh, yes, yeah. yes, I swear to God, it's 58. Right. <laughs> uh, this is episode 58 of the Bloody Pit. I am Rod Barnett. I'm Troy Gwynn. And we're here tonight to talk to you about yet another kaiju film. It's been a few months since mm-hmm. we sat down and talked about a Japanese giant monster movie. And, uh, well, I've wanted to talk about this particular one for a long time. Uh, it was um, it was Mystery Science Theater that introduced me to the fact that this movie existed at all mm-hmm. way back in the early 90s. Uh, I, you could have knocked me over with a feather with the uh, if you'd ever said to me, mm-hmm. by the way, there's an entire series of Japanese giant monster movies focused on a flying turtle. <laughs> I would have said, yeah, yeah, pass me that beer you're drinking because I don't know <laughs> yeah. what the hell is in it, but it must mm-hmm. be good. Mm-hmm. So, here's the thing. I like Gamera because Gamera is really neat. Mm-hmm. And? He is filled with turtle, turtle meat. meat. But it's not just Mystery Science Theater versions of these films that I enjoy. I actually really like, well, as we'll learn, both versions of this film. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> both the Japanese and the American version. Right. Oh, what a shock that was. Uh, I, I have to be honest, I haven't rewatched the Mystery Science Theater version of the first Gamera film in uh, mm-hmm. a very long time. Mm-hmm. But... Uh, to the point where I had completely forgotten that there was a, a different version of it rather than the one that I was used to watching that's just the straight Japanese version with subtitles. Mm-hmm. But we'll get into that yeah. later. Uh, we, Troy and I, uh, just uh, recently uh, hauled our sorry butts back from Chicago where we went to the 2017 edition of G-Fest, this rather large uh, uh, gonorrhea fest. No, uh, <laughs> Godzilla, Godzilla Festival. Godzilla Festival. There were no... Mm-hmm. Antibiotics and/or mm-hmm. penicillin necessary to attend this. Although there were times, mm-hmm. <laughs> there were moments when uh, one of the young, one of the younger folks who was mm-hmm. with us uh, actually had to exit certain large dealer room areas because the bo got to him. <laughs> I'm not going to explain why that may have happened. Yes, but, uh, but if you've been to conventions before, I don't think you will. I don't think you will doubt our word. Yeah, so. I, don't, I don't think it takes much imagination either. Yeah, I mean, at, at the time, I, I I tried to say something along the lines of, "Well, maybe you know, honestly, these mm-hmm. folks walking around in these big uh, these big monster suits that makes them sweat like pigs." You know, yeah. 
that and the fact that they have an aversion to showering. I don't know what that might be. But, uh, yeah. Anyway, G-Fest 2017, uh, the first time I've ever been. Yes. This was, uh, what? Number six for me. Six for you. Um, thoroughly enjoyed myself. What a blast. I thought you would. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I was excited for you getting to go because I knew you would have a good time. It is just a fun, fun convention. You know, it's, 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 uh, I have to say, there's a lot, you know, there's other conventions I truly love. Uh, you know, Wonderfest and, and Monster Bash are great conventions too, but the, just the sense of people just having a great time. And yeah. I don't mean great time in, in like, it's not a party con, not that kind of great time. Not like, you know, people have an after hours partying and going nuts all night, you know. So, uh, you know, uh, you know, which there are those conventions too, and that's fine. Right. But, uh, but just the sense of people just, just really having a great time is, 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 I think palpable at this convention. It always has been to me. Well, I think there's something kind of special about the, the appeal of the, the kaiju films, of the Godzilla monsters and things of that nature. I think there's something about it that brings out the little kid in almost every adult. Mm-hmm. And it makes all the little kids who get to come to it feel like they're they're in the nexus of something really, really special. Something that means mm-hmm. something to them and to the adults at the same mm-hmm. time. And I think that's something that kind of adds to the effect. And, and depending on your taste of convention or what you prefer, you know, it may sound... Like a negative, if we're uh, or if we're saying yes, there are there are more kids at this convention than you're going to find at pretty much any other type of sci-fi convention. Uh, but it's really not a negative at all in this case, like no, said, because no. they are because and, and again, you're you're having like I said, it's 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 older Godzilla fans, you know, you know, bringing their kids and getting to experience it again through their kids' excitement. And I think you're right; it brings out their excitement too. And so, yeah, uh, yeah it's just great to great atmosphere to be in. It really is. It's a lot of fun. I was, of course, very excited because there's a nearby theater that they uh, that the, the convention uh, collaborates with, and they uh, screened several. Uh, they showed uh, Shin Godzilla a couple of times, which was nice. But I had already seen. We'd of course already seen it last year when it uh, played for its brief period of time here in the states. But I did get to go and see on the big screen. Uh, 1962's King Kong versus Godzilla, mm-hmm. which was a blast to watch on the big oh, yeah. screen in this in this beautiful theater, this big old movie palace. Really, mm-hmm. it was just a gorgeous place to see a movie in the first place. The, uh, the the joy of getting to see King Kong versus Godzilla on the big screen was really great. And it was a huge crowd. I was really, mm-hmm. I mean, it was mm-hmm. several hundred people. I was really kind of surprised at the the huge turnout. Although I guess I shouldn't have been, but. Uh, you know that kind of started the weekend off, and it was just it was it was fun from the get go. I have to say, uh, the uh, I was I was able to control my uh, overwhelming urge to buy things. Uh, <laughs> I did buy a number of. Things. I don't even try anymore. Yeah, Troy, uh, Troy, it's obvious you don't you don't you have absolutely no <laughs> no filter. control whatsoever over yeah. my spending at G Fest. No, I do not. <laughs> yeah, you 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 bought a few things that. Um, not only was I impressed by, I was kind of appalled because <laughs> I knew I knew what the tr- I knew what the freaking price tag on some of that stuff was. So uh, you know, more power to you. Mm, yeah, uh, yeah. Well, one thing uh, uh, you you know you go to these and one after a tour through the dealer's room, you know you you quickly discover that in this case size does not matter when it comes to. <laughs> What uh, what you might spend because you end up having both experiences. You'll you'll see some really cool small little you know item and you'll think you know oh that's probably you know a reasonable amount of money and then you know you'll be told a price that <laughs> make that top of your head explode you know when they tell you how much it, it is stretches credulity. But then you'll have the opposite of uh, sometimes too. I mean you'll see something that you almost don't want to ask the price of it because you're just sure it's going to be astronomical yeah. and it will, you know, your eyes will light up and you realize like oh wow that's actually a, a sane price. <laughs> 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 
Uh, but it is, uh, no, it is deadly. It is deadly. I'm, it's probably, uh, I'm definitely lucky for me that it's only once a year. Because uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> but uh, you you did take the opportunity to add to the Godzilla Shrine at Casa de Gwen. Yes, I did. So. Yes, I did. Uh, I did definitely did. And uh, also, one of the other great things about this convention, and I think it's kind of pertinent to talk about it specifically with our subject matter tonight, is um, well, first of all, let me say this, Rod, or ask you this: uh, Did you? I'm sure you did. You notice? The how much, even though this is ostensibly a Godzilla con, uh, did you notice how much Gamera is very, very much a presence there? Yeah, yeah, and and I didn't. Um, I'll be honest, I didn't think that hard about it before. You probably I maybe even expected around. that. You maybe yeah. I, I expected a good deal because I mean we, we're talking about the fact that Gamera in the '90s had a trilo- a, a trilogy mm-hmm. of excellent mm-hmm. films. Uh, right at the tail end of the uh, the '90s Godzilla series, the these th- these three amazing Gamera films came along and kind of reinvigorated the fandom for it, quite obviously. And uh, although uh, there has been a Godzilla film, I mean, I'm sorry, a Gamera film in the uh, new millennium, I know it was not very well received. But that I that, love it. Mm-hmm. Well, I, I don't know. I've not seen it. Yeah, I just, I just, I just yeah. know it has a bad rep. Yeah. And the um, general perception of it was not very high from what I understand, right. but that does not, that has never dimmed, you know, the, the fandom right. for, uh, whatever giant monster you want to talk about. I mean, I'll be uh, amongst the group that I was with, that I was staying with there in uh, Chicago, uh, for no good reason whatsoever, other than the fact that we all love the movie. For some reason that weekend, uh, Varan became like the big monster that everybody was talking <laughs> yeah. about and thrilled yeah. about. I mean, Varan had one damn movie. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but one of the guys I was with, um, uh, James Lechner had actually created uh, a kind of diorama of uh, this amazing diorama. He had, he had sculpted uh, Varan com- uh, mm-hmm. coming out of the sea and being attacked by a ship. Yeah, it's just an amazing uh, piece of uh, sculpture artwork that was mm-hmm. just incredible, and it just kind of kicked off you know my memories of of mm-hmm. seeing Varan and, and and loving the film and talking about the two different versions of the film. And there was a chopped down version mm-hmm. that came out in the states and the full length version and. The uh, one of the uh, I was with Mark Maddox, mm. and uh, Mark knows the film. Mark's son knows the film and was a mm. huge fan of the film and really liked the monster. And we all commiserated that Varan never got a goddamn good deal after his first movie. And <laughs> oh, he was even he was even he got shit canned and, and destroyed all monsters. I know, and, yeah, I know. Yeah. You know the the more the more you, the more you know about how badly Varan was treated, the more you just want to be on that poor guy's side. You want him out there terrorizing mm-hmm. people and destroying Japan. You know. <laughs> But, you know, for no good reason. I mean, just suddenly it doesn't mm. take much for uh, even lesser known you know, monster like Varan to suddenly become like the talk of an entire group of people yeah, at a convention yeah. like this. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah, I, I wasn't too surprised that Gamera was a really big part of mm. everything involved there. I mean, you know, obviously Godzilla reigns overall. Sure, sure. But, it, but yeah, yeah, but it did occur to me, maybe oddly enough, you know, that it took this many conventions of G-Fest to for really kind of started thinking about this aspect of the convention that there's an on there's a continual channel going in in, in the rooms. Uh, the hotel has a, an in-house station that is constantly showing 24 hours of Japanese and giant monster related stuff, which is awesome. At the convention, you know, you've been to the convention all day. You go back to the room and you turn on this channel and see Ultraman episodes and and all sorts of Japanese commercials and just some really bizarre stuff. You know, oh yeah, just incredibly bizarre stuff. But everybody knows how Toho, how protective Toho is. 
uh, protective is a mild word uh, for the Godzilla licenses days, uh, and you can't l- litigious. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Disney levels of, of it, and uh, and w- w- we can't blame them. And and they, you know, and, and in many ways, I'm sure that it's a good thing that they protected the Godzilla license and franchise and identity. Dae, which is the company, the the film company that produced Gamera, is not as protective or has not been as tight reined on the licenses or the or or where Gamera can be shown. So the Resulting of that, of that is that on this TV channel that goes that shows all weekend long, you will not see any Godzilla movies, but you will see all the Gamera movies and uh, or at least yeah. the original run of Gamera movies. So the thought occurred to me that while Godzilla, while Toho isn't allowing Godzilla movies to be shown on this channel, you know, you think about all these people who have kids with them, you know, bringing their young kids or getting into kaiju. And they're sitting there like, hey, let's put on the channel and see what's there. And these kids are seeing Gamera. They ain't seen any Godzilla, but they're seeing Gamera all weekend long. So it's probably all this is to, probably to the yeah. effect of, of, of growing a big legion of, of, uh, of Gamera fans. Uh, I hadn't even there. really thought about that, but you're right. Yeah. And, you know, I can't help but think that um, the fact that the Gamera films have been in print now here in the States on DVD and, and, and cheap Blu-rays. Mm-hmm. Uh, for the past several years, it's got to make it one of those things that you know makes it very easy for the you know the big the monster dad fan to yeah. to kind of pick them up and bring them home yeah. and throw them on, knowing mm-hmm. that oh well these are the Gamera films yeah. you know you know we I can I can mm-hmm. put them on in a continuous loop and let the kids see them and it won't mm-hmm. it won't be any big deal and the you know the, this Blu-ray of four of them cost yeah. me less than ten bucks so yeah of yeah. course it's a you know it's an automatic buy for a monster dad so mm-hmm. why not. Mm-hmm. I did enjoy G Fest. Yeah, I thought you would. It's yeah, uh, the, would. the only downside is that it is such a long ways away. Chicago mm-hmm. is a fur piece from Nashville, folks, and uh, that does make it a long trip. And it is something that I en- I, I enjoyed. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> little little hint: sometime later in the year, after I get it edited together, you'll hear uh, some of the road trip. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that did not does not involve Troy. No. The road trip involved uh, me and uh, my old sparring buddy uh, Mark Maddox. Uh, uh, we uh, we don't spar much on this actually. We, yeah, uh, we see in my mind, I just kept picturing the car weaving across the road back and back and well, forth. <laughs> the car did weave back and cro- back and forth across the road, but that's mainly because Mark can't drive. No, no, I was driving oh, at the you time were we recorded. Oh, that's oh, the laughing, hard, that's oh, the laughing part. probably. Yeah. You know, laughing and and uh, tra- you know me trying me trying to find some way to you know slowly carefully deliberately get under Mark's skin. It <laughs> doesn't really seem like I'm trying to get under Mark's skin. <laughs> Uh, it's all. It's always best to to slip the shiv in unseen mm-hmm. and see if it bleeds, see if he bleeds yet. So later in the year, I'll uh, I'll cut together uh, kind of the Mark Maddox and Rod Barnett on the road <laughs> episode uh, for your listening pleasure. But uh, it's uh, it, it'll t- it'll it'll take a bit of juggling because uh, they're you know being recorded in a moving car. It has uh, it has more than its fair share of audio problems and <laughs> and uh, not not. Not a little bit of uh, background sound that I'm going to have to kind of judge the uh, the clarity on what we recorded. I mean, there's almost two hours of stuff, and I'm going to have to chop yeah. it down a good bit because that's that's far too long. But we touch on a, a number of subjects, including a number of subjects I had no idea we would talk about. But that's the way these conversations always go, anyway. But that uh, that long road trip, I, it's not something that uh, I could do more than uh, every now and then. Yeah. But my plan now is to try to go back to Monster Bash next year. So Monster Bash is fantastic too. If anybody hasn't yeah. been to that Monster Bash in Pittsburgh, it's a hell of a lot of fun too. So yeah. uh, it's a blast. A um, couple more things before we jump into Giant Monster Gamera. Um, on a down note, as I was sitting in the airport waiting for the plane, see, I flew because you know 
I'm I'm uh, I'm I'm in another I'm in another uh, uh, class level, shall we say, another economic class level than Ron. Yes, yes. <laughs> so, so I yes. flew back from uh, uh, you, Scott. <laughs> as I was sitting in the airport, I got a call from my little uh, my well, actually my older brother got and I were and my older brother and his wife and I were sitting in the airport and we got a call from. Our younger brother uh, to tell us the sad news that George Romero had passed away, yeah. and uh, that was a a, a down downer of a note to end the weekend on. Uh, just want to say real quickly that George Romero has always been one of my very very favorite directors. I mean, I've, if I were ever to dare to make a list of my favorite directors, I never have, but I know that he would have probably been in the top three. Um, so. Uh, just yeah, just want to say what can you say, everybody's. I mean, every, all, all fandom has been. You know, has, has been ablaze with uh, remembrances of dear George, and so uh, he yeah. will be very much missed. I, I, you know, I hate that. You know, in the last couple of decades of his life, uh, he couldn't get any work unless it had to do with zombies. But I'd rather focus on all the good work, you know, that he did. You know, when he had you know, all the yeah, different subjects and the things he got to do before before that. You know, so. well, this is a man who got to make things like Night Riders and Night Riders, Show, Martin. Martin. Yeah, I mean, yeah. you know, some I, I'm a huge fan of the Dark Half and Monkey Shines. I think he did phenomenal work throughout the '80s, and I think that um, you know he spent he spent the entire '90s making lots of money but never getting anything made yeah. in Hollywood. Which, and and I honestly yeah. think that, you know, let's face it, we would have more of George's work to enjoy had he not been had he not set his standards, had he not dug his heels in the sand so much yeah. as, as I guess what I'm saying is had he not had as much integrity as he did, we probably would have more of his stuff, but we we wouldn't want him any other way, I don't think, you know. No, when no. you know he he uh, he always fought the good fight and, and really didn't just take any job that was given to him. I, I one of the things I remember one of my favorites was uh Remember when he was tapped to make the the first Resident, Resident Evil, yeah. but they wanted to make it PG or PG thirteen or something. It's like yeah. so, you know. So we want we want your name on it, George, to bring in the zombie fans, but we don't really want you to make a George Romero film, you know. So it's just, we, this yeah. is ridiculous stuff like that, you know. And that's and that's one of the many stories I've heard about Romero's adventures in Hollywood, mm-hmm. or which which you know all revolve around the idea that you know he wanted to make movies and they wanted to make money. Mm-hmm. And the two can go hand in hand, but the first thing for Romero was let's make movies. Yeah, and yeah. so those two things didn't often uh, line up properly, and therefore, although we have fewer films from George mm-hmm. than we would like, mm-hmm. the ones we have are for the most part absolute gems. And I say mm-hmm. that as mm-hmm. someone who will sit down and discuss with you at length why Diary of the Dead is actually a good movie, and I don't want to hear any bullshit. Yeah, and I actually didn't, and I was not meaning to diss the, oh, no, no, the no, last no, zombies. No, no. You know what I'm saying. It's just oh, that's yeah. the only thing he was allowed to make, you know, were, no, no, no. were things no, that he no, was no, on. But, but, but yes, yeah, so no, I actually think Diary of the Dead is, I enjoy that. I, I, I enjoy Diary of the Dead quite a yeah. bit, and I'll be honest, I'm going to have to go back and and uh, reevaluate Survival of the Dead one day just because I know there were good things in it. Yes, that's kind of way I, I, I feel. I think like, there were. I think there were. There was one crippling decision about that movie that I'll never understand, which is the whole Irish thing, which mm-hmm. made no goddamn sense considering the the setting. But um, man, George. Yeah. Well, what can we say? Night of the Living Dead. Yeah. Dawn of the Dead was such a. That was the first midnight movie I ever attended, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. and I attended it multiple times. And it's still my my very very favorite horror movie. It's uh, which yeah. is yet another list that's tough to make, but that is my all time favorite horror movie. Just a understandable, wonderful, wonderful understandable. movie. Um, but not. In, uh, did you have anything more to say on George? Or, or no, no, okay. Well, I was gonna say not to end on a to end on a lighter note before we go to our break. Uh, Rod and I have a little news that we can now actually say out loud. True. Um, 
we have another audio commentary in the pipeline that's uh, going to be coming out. Uh, actually, by the time you hear this, it will actually already will already be. Out. be yeah, it's a good point. So it is already out there when you hear this. Scream Factory has done a double feature of Night of the Sorcerers and The Lorelei's Grasp. Yes, two Amando Diasorio films. Neither of them, of course, Blind Dead movies. No. Uh, with any luck, maybe one day down the road, somebody will get their hands on the Blind Dead movies and we'll be able to see those in high def as well. But these are a good starting place for mm. anybody who wants to see some high def Amando Diasorio, especially Lorelai's Grasp, for which we've done a commentary track. And yeah. mm-hmm. uh, I think I think it's a pretty good commentary track if mm. memory serves. Mm. Uh, we're starting to get we're starting to get a little groove going with these things. The more you do, you know, it's like everything else; it just kind of takes practice. So hopefully, we're getting better with each one. Uh, and, and, and hopefully we we aren't we aren't becoming so so overconfident that now we suck. <laughs> <laughs> that's, We're that's, just gonna mail it in, folks. <laughs> no, I'm gonna, I'm gonna do this one. I'm gonna do this one from across the country, and you're gonna have to Skype this one onto the DVD slash Blu-ray because I am way too busy with the starlets out here on the coast. No. I'm gonna do. I'm gonna do my one. I'm, eating my, I'm gonna do it while I'm eating my breakfast here. While I'm eating, <laughs> eat a crunchy bag of. Of chips and, <laughs> so, <laughs> and in the middle of it, I'm going to take a phone call. That's right. That's right. Exactly. Uh, no, you're going to uh, hear the whole phone call. We're not even going to edit it out. So, but we uh, did take the opportunity of doing the, uh, the Lorelai's Graft commentary track to be able to uh, talk a little bit more about Helga Linnae, mm-hmm. uh, of course, to get to uh, to talk a good deal about Amando Diasorio and his life and his career mm-hmm. and uh, just kind of the amazing uh, stuff that he made. And uh, the, once again, another filmmaker who uh, only made a certain number of movies. But uh, the ones that he made are gems and are very cherished by his fans, and uh, it's a, it's a good place to dive in. Highly recommend the uh, the double feature. Am uh, excited to have um, a commentary track out there about someone other than Paul Nashy. Yeah, I think that's something that we were really excited about doing because it's almost like we're doing this like a Beyond Nashy commentary, you know. But this but yeah. but this kind of it just this is a nice reward for that time we put into taking that sidebar that we decided pretty on early on in the. In the the Nashi Cast uh, journey, there is that we would do these side trips into uh, the the other the Nashi verse, as we like to call it. You know, other actors and all and directors and all that sort of thing. People who worked with Paul Nashi, and so the it gives us hope that we may get some chances, hopefully someday, to do some other uh, films like that. You know, that are that are of that genre, but not uh, not necessarily specifically Paul Nashi films. It would be a blast. I'd love to get the chance mm. to, to to talk about uh, publicly talk about the Blind Dead movies again. I just oh God, that'd be great. Love those movies. Anyway, yes. Yeah, so uh, so check that out and enjoy it. We hope you do. And uh, I tell you what, we'll take a quick break yep. and then we will come back and we will start talking about uh, 1965's Gamera, the giant monster. The following is a message from the American Podcast Council. We need your help. Podcastophobia strikes four out of five Americans every day, and chances are that someone you love or could love given time is currently suffering from this devastating affliction. But it doesn't have to be that way. For zero dollars a day, you can help. Please, make some time today to let just one person know about a favorite podcast of yours. It can be this one, but it doesn't have to be. But it probably should be, but seriously, no pressure. And show them where to find it and how to download, play, and subscribe to it. And tell us what you recommended. Use the hashtag tripod. That's T-R-Y pod. Thank you for speaking out. And thank you for listening. Hello, and welcome to a commercial for Hello, This is the Doom Show. I'm Richard. I'm Brad. 
And on the podcast that is known as Hello, This is the Doom Show, we talk about Jalla movies, slasher movies, horror movies. We're going to interview Cary Grant live in the studio. We're going to interview Lucio Fulci in the studio, folks. We're going to put Cary Grant in the studio with Lucio Fulci. It's the interview you never thought would happen. I'm going to wear my Vincent Price slacks. I'm going to wear my Citizen Kane wristwatch and monocle. And now Brad is going to recite the Pledge of Allegiance in Portuguese. Brad, go. I don't have Portuguese. Go! Go! Stop hitting me! You're a natural actor. Yeah. Uh, you can listen to us at hellodoomedshow.podomatic.com or you can find the archive at doomedmoviethon.com. This is Bobby Hazard here, along with... Uh, the Colonel. And we're here to tell you about the Spring Break Forever Podcast Network. See, we got this one podcast where we talk about movies you can watch for free on the internet called No Pants Sunday. We also have my own personal podcast called I Hate Music. We also talk about uh, music and other stuff on No Pants Sunday that involve that No Pants lifestyle. <laughs> and we also have another podcast about Alice Cooper that I host with a bunch of people called Coopercast. And in the future, we're going to have... Beat on the Cast, which is a Ramones podcast. Will there be a podcast about an Alice Cooper movie to tie us all together? I don't know. Tune in and find out. Spring Break Forever Podcast Network. Yes, uh, we're on iTunes, Stitcher, Podbay. That thing. <laughs> and wherever else we'll mirror our RSS feed. Suckers. And we also have a Tumblr page, springbreakforeverpodcast.tumblr.com. Check it out and enjoy the rest of the bloody pit. Camera, the giant monster, 1965 Japanese kaiju film. Directed by people whose names I'm not a going to attempt to slaughter yeah. because I have far too much respect yeah. for what they accomplished. Yeah, Yuasa, I believe, is the, and I only know that from listening to the audio commentary, is the director's name, Noriaki U- Yuasa. Very nice. Um, as I've said, uh, I discovered that the Gamera films existed because of Mystery Science Theater 3000 back in the early 90s. Uh, I was stunned that these things existed, but thoroughly enjoyed watching them on Mystery Science Theater. And then when I got the chance to see them un-MST'd, I leapt at it. And that came not too soon after the fact, because Mm -hmm. uh, I bought... uh, Boy, this will date me pretty hard, folks. Uh, I bought this film on Laserdisc. Oh, yeah. In the, the, I guess, mid-90s, early mid... I guess it's the Mm mid-90s, yeah. Uh, The the original, this film, the black and white Gamera film, the very first Gamera film, was put out in its Japanese form with subtitles, uh, letterboxed, subtitled. Uh, Always a prerequisite for me buying a goddamn Laserdisc. (laughs) Was was this film, and I loved it. This is the Mm. first time I got to see it in its uncut glory. Mm. uh, And I loved every stinking minute of it. I was so thrilled to be able to see it. I watched that Laserdisc more than a few times. Fell in love with the concept. uh, A concept that I still think is completely batshit crazy. Oh, it is. I mean, it is. It's It's nuts. It still blows my mind that they not only 
some that somebody came up with this and created this, but made it work, you know. So right, well, right. you know. So uh, ever since then, I've been a fan of the of the Gamera films. Uh, I have not seen. Here's the thing: I still mm-hmm. have not seen Unmystery Science Theatered. The entire run of the uh, the '60s and '70s Gamera films. That's a project that I've got on tap mm-hmm. to do because I now own them all, but because they're easy to own because they're on cheap Blu-rays now from Mill Creek. The '90s trilogy Gamera films came along uh, not too long after that, and when I started to see those once again on bootleg VHSs, I realized, man, this Gamera thing has got some legs, mm-hmm. which is odd to say about anything <laughs> relating to a turtle, but nevertheless. Gamera is a, is is a, a, I guess he's a stalwart at this point. He's a he's a character who's been around since '65. He's not mm-hmm. going anywhere. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know if there are any current plans for any new Gamera movies. There have been rumors. I I would be very very surprised if it doesn't happen because of the success of of both the Japanese and American Godzilla films and the Kong film. Yeah, I would be amazed if uh, they don't give another shot at a Gamera film. Uh, there have been rumors, but so far nothing has been uh, confirmed. There was a great, I don't know what you call proof of concept, uh, uh, kind of little short trailer almost sort of thing that somebody did about a year ago uh, the, in, in Japan that they, they did for a potential Gamera film. It looked awesome. I mean, if, if, if you know, you've definitely seen it, you're thinking, please do this, but so far, I've not. I personally have not heard anything that can that's confirmed that that they're that they're doing one. Okay, I I would be just as thrilled to see a new Gamera movie as I am thrilled to yes. see the resurgence of mm-hmm. Godzilla. Mm-hmm. So, nineteen sixty five. This film comes out. Obviously, it's in competition with Toho's Godzilla film series. But this film has an odd genesis. Yes. Let's get it. Into wasn't that. intended that way to begin with. Yes. No, this was not a film that was intended to exist, I guess. It, right. it, it came along because of the failure to get a different film made, right? Mm-hmm. That is correct. From what I understand, and I'm going to take this right from uh, John LeMay's newest book uh, called The Big Book of Giant... Uh, of, I'm sorry, The Big Book of Japanese Giant Monster Movies... The Lost Films, which is uh, which is a book that just came out and that I picked up at G Fest because I am a As book buying some yeah. bitch. Yeah. In 1963, Dai tried to make um, a film called Giant Horde Beast Nazura. Uh, now the idea sounds very interesting. It involved giant rats. The whole idea was to create a film involving giant rats. Uh, unlike many of the scripts in this book, small portions of Giant Horde Beast. Nazura were actually filmed. Shooting began in autumn of 1963. The idea of the film uh, involved uh, giant rats, and though the monster maker Masao Yagi declined to participate in shooting, his son helped with the production. Uh, they even built a remote-controlled three-foot rat and a giant rat suit, presumably for the uh, lone kaiju-sized character named Nazura. Miniature city sets were constructed as well, where real rats would be turned loose on the film. Uh, we'll turn loose on film. That's where the trouble started. <laughs> yes, if you want to know how much fun it is to work with giant or, or to work or with live rats, rats, just ask Paul Nashi. <laughs> uh, yeah, exactly. The production began to fall apart once the real rats arrived on set, and containing them proved to be a nightmare. Soon, the set was plagued with fleas, ticks, and lice. <laughs> ironically, another of the problems with the rats was cannibalism, an element ironically scripted for the film's climax. <laughs> As they were pet- just—they were just getting character. You know? Yes, exactly. <laughs> they, they were—they were method method Method, rats. Methoding there, yeah. Uh, as pesticides were sprayed across the studio, the crew had to begin wearing gas masks. Eventually, the studio's neighboring businesses began to complain about the runaway rats. 
chief assistance effect <laughs> chief assistant effects director and chairman of the health union shut down the picture in disgust and left the studio after capturing only around 20 minutes of special effects footage. The horde of dead rats was burned with gasoline <laughs> and was a highly talked about event in Japanese film circles. Some sources even claim the staff held a memorial service for the rats. So, I can see the Japanese doing that, actually. <laughs> I, can see, I can see that happening. So what we have here is a, is a company that, for a couple of years, sat on about 20 minutes of test footage hmm. of uh, some rats and these miniature cities, and just looking at this whole situation and going, we just shit-canned yeah. a lot of money for nothing Yes, here. yes. We got to salvage this somehow. <laughs> so they decided to use these miniature sets and this mm. whole, this mm. whole, all the stuff that they'd already built mm. to make a movie about a giant flying turtle. And uh, this, by the way, uh, some of this same material is also covered in uh, August Ragone's audio commentary, um, which is on the Shout Factory uh, DVD release of Giant Monster Gamera. So uh, um, he, I, the, I think, uh, that's DVD only. So is, yes, not Blu-ray. The Blu-rays were put out by somebody else. So yeah, I want to talk about that whole series of releases at the end of the show because there's things okay. I got to say about it too. But but yes, you're right. The August Ragone's commentary is only on the Shout Factory DVD release. And and uh, it's excellent audio commentary. I'll be throwing in some things from it. Uh, I think John LeMay really brings uh, the point across even even better though the whole fact that that Gamera only happened because of the failure of of, of, of their original project. And I think that is really interesting for people who have the conception. I know I did for years for forever that the whole idea from the first was to create something to compete with Godzilla. Um, it was certainly certainly their idea that they were wanting to cash in on the giant monster craze. But their original idea there certainly doesn't sound like something you would build a franchise <laughs> upon. <laughs> so so it does seem like they, that they did not, from the very first, have the idea that, oh, we're going to create a character that's going to be our answer to Godzilla. There's so many things about Gamera that makes you feel that he would be because of uh, you can totally see the idea that, hey, we're going to, take a character and make him even more as the Godzilla movies are starting to become really popular as the Godzilla characters becoming starting to become more of a heroic figure. We're going to take a character and make him even more heroic and, and, and kid friendly and yeah. kind of take that. Uh, but, but that's not really how the origins uh, of it came about, or it's not really the, how the very beginnings of it, that idea, I guess, just sort of germinated as they started to develop this alternate to what they originally were going to do. Germinated. Germinated. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, with it, rats, that's with probably rats, a key that's word. A, that's, that, a <laughs> that's a problem. So uh, I've been a fan of this movie for uh, well over 20 years now, and uh, a fan of it in uh, the form, as I've said, as uh, the, the, the Japanese original, the 75-minute-long mm-hmm. mm-hmm. uh, giant monster movie in black and white. I thoroughly love it, and I enjoy watching it, and I would watch it probably twice mm-hmm. a year if given the opportunity. But it wasn't until we decided, uh, at my behest, I'll admit that uh, we're covering this film because I kind of pushed for it because this is the giant monster movie that I've seen too many times, mm-hmm. <laughs> unlike all of the rest of them that Troy's seen far too many times. <laughs> yes. Um, I am fascinated by this movie because there are so many things about it. I mean, it, it all clicks into place. It's a movie that I, I really enjoy watching, mm-hmm. but at the same time, all the things that click into place are things that are just, if taken by themselves make you go, what in the hell were these people thinking? <laughs> yes, yes. All the way from the very Absolutely. concept straight down to mm. the finale where they, mm. how they, the, the whole Z plan where they get rid of Gamera, which is a batshit crazy concept all on its own. So, I push for this. I love this film. But until Troy told me uh, in our in our kind of pre-gaming this a couple of weeks ago that um, 
he knows that I don't have the Shout Factory releases, so he knew mm. he would need to uh, take some notes from August Ragone's um, commentary track yeah. because I don't have access to it without borrowing it from Troy. Right. But at the same time, he said, you do realize there's another version of the film Mm-hmm. And I'll be honest, I should have known that because I'm pretty sure it's the American version that has been that was used oh. by Mystery Science Theater. Mm-hmm. But I mm-hmm. had no memory of it. It's been so long. So just like, as you pointed out, the original mm-hmm. Godzilla film in 54, mm-hmm. when it got imported over here in 56 for American consumption, uh, it wasn't just them bringing the film over and dubbing it into English. They shot whole new scenes for this as the same, mm-hmm. the same as they did for mm-hmm. Godzilla. Mm-hmm kind of crafting their own movie, mm-hmm. or in this case, much less so than in Godzilla, if memory if memory is, is accurate, mm-hmm. um, they really just took the whole running time of Gamera right. <laughs> and then shot about 15 minutes of their own footage and just inserted it into right. Gamera right. as they went along. Kind of the way that uh, this stuff in King Kong versus Godzilla is done. I mean, there's not, I think, if I'm right from a, from which is by the way the American version is called Gamera the Invincible is the title of the yes, US yes. and that version because uh, there's not any trying to match actors with the Japanese actors that are already been filmed right there's not That's, like there's yeah, not like yeah. scenes over looking over someone's shoulder like they did in the uh, Godzilla when they took Gojira and made Godzilla King of the Monsters where there's actually active uh, attempts to you know they put Raymond Burr in those scenes and yeah. will film over somebody's shoulder who looks kind of like. Some the of Japanese the actors, but they don't really do that in these in in the Gamera film, I believe, and it's no, no, no. just they film these scenes separately and they just kind of drop them in wherever they felt. That yeah, it almost sense. all almost all of the scenes that are inserted into Gamera, the giant monster, to create the American release, Gamera mm. the Invincible, Gamera with two M's. I might point out. Yes, yes, you're exactly right. Which is a very strange thing. That's how they alter the title for no good reason. Gamera mm. is spelled with two M's. Mm-hmm. No, no sense. I, I know. I can't. I, I will say I called him Gam- Gamera all growing up. I called really? him. Yeah, yeah, it wasn't until I, I, I wasn't, it wasn't until really I was an adult and started watching, probably even watching the Japanese versions. I started to to realize it was it was Gamera, not I kind of Gamera as a kid. <laughs> I thought Wild, that's how man. it was pronounced. Yeah, well, but. nevertheless, um, what all they really seem to have done with these American sequences in the the American version of the film mm. is to they just show us a stock shot of the UN building, mm-hmm. and then. We have, we have these scenes they've shot that also that almost all of them except for one seem to take place just in conference rooms yeah, at the UN yeah, where they're yeah. discussing what's actually going to happen in the next mm-hmm. section mm-hmm. what 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 has just happened in the Gamera movie mm-hmm. and what's about to happen in the Gamera movie <laughs> yeah. and then we resume the Gamera movie yeah uh, there's one sequence that uh, seems to take place that's just a you know a series uh, it's just three talking heads you know kind of an opinion show much like you catch on cable news these days mm-hmm. with these uh, three ca- three characters discussing you know this whole Gamera problem and the giant monster thing and yada 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 and that one, I die if memory serves, doesn't take place in the UN building. But at the same time, mm-hmm. these se- these sequences, there's no attempt to to pretend that any of these American actors are in Japan mm-hmm. and are participating in any of this or anywhere right. near the destruction. Right. Uh, and of course, the movie helps them out a good deal because they're you know the the Gamera is pro- is portrayed as a worldwide threat. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So this makes it very easy to uh, even the original version of the film kind of hints yeah. toward. The fact that they're you know, the Japanese government is cooperating with uh, for you know all, you know foreign governments attempting yeah. to coordinate uh, some kind of defense against this creature. As at one point in the movie, he is flying around the world and being spotted yeah. in different places. And there, you know, they they didn't have to add very much. They just decided. I'm assuming what they decided to do 
was beyond. You know, they they thought well, there was a humong- we had humongous success with doing it with the with the Godzilla mm-hmm. film ten years mm-hmm. before. Mm-hmm. Let's repeat the process. Only we can do it. You know, this movie is almost built to make it easy for us. Mm-hmm. And and that's what they did. Uh, I think that it's um, effectively done. Mm-hmm. But I can also say that every single outside of the English dubbing, which is perfectly acceptable, I don't have a problem with it. Right. All of the scenes that were shot specifically for this to be inserted into the movie are a complete waste of time. <laughs> yeah. uh, there's some there's some mm. added value in a way because uh, it's fun to see all of these uh, um, um, uh, these amazing character actors, yeah. Don, Brian Dunleavy, uh, yeah. and a bunch of other really common faces mm-hmm. uh, from the 60s and 70s uh, that, that pop up. Um, but other than just kind of getting a thrill out of seeing how you would needless, needlessly, and I mean needlessly, extend the story of the Gamera film uh, out another 10 to 15 minutes with you yeah, know yeah. guys in rooms gabbing about what's going on, telling you what you've seen and telling you what you're about to see. <laughs> yeah, that's really all they're doing. Other than just extending the running time, it's pretty much a waste. Um, like yes, I but say, you must realize it, it it comforted American audiences at that time. It comforted <laughs> them that there were there were there were yeah. white there were round eyes to view. Or, you know that this was not. <laughs> that this, you know. <laughs> That's the saddest yeah, that part. Is, that is right. the, yeah. Um, even sadder part is, is they're not, we're not too far from, <laughs> from still having to do that today, unfortunately, you know. But it's, yeah, I would agree, yeah. But uh, I, I, it did occur to me that with this being Brian Dun- Dunleavy, you do realize that had the it had this been in British hands, they probably would have made it a Quatermass film. They probably would have turned it into a and <laughs> tried to pass it off as a Quatermass. Yeah, but, but, but you know, the, oh, I, the, I don't I don't want to hear that because I still think Brian Dunleavy's uh, is just the wrong choice for Quatermass. Well, I, 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 I still enjoy I still enjoy those two films. Yeah, I still enjoy yeah. those films, but once you get to the Quatermass in the Pit and you've got Anthony Ke- uh, I'm, I'm sorry Andrew Keir, it's like oh now here's a fucking here's a Quatermass. Yeah, yeah, here here we're here we're cooking, baby. Well, I I don't think uh, Dunleavy felt he was right for it either, which is why he drank excessively during the, you know, during, during I think, those. those I think shit. Brian Dunleavy drank excessively. Anyway, period. Yeah. I think yeah. that that was pretty much his hobby, and possibly if he could have been paid for it, he would have been a happy man. I just wonder if he and you know, I always think of him and Raymond Burr meeting if ever ever met for drinks. It would, you know, be like <laughs> I was in a. He's like I was in a Japanese movie that I wasn't actually. You know, you, know, you too, you too, you, you too. <laughs> That's really weird. <laughs> Nevertheless, yes. Let's talk about the the plot of this film. Let's get into mm-hmm. the plot of this film mm-hmm. and uh, kind of run through it because yeah. there's a there's a lot of fun things to talk about here. Mm-hmm. Uh, I will say, having uh, not vis- not visited this film in a number of years, it was a thrill to notice a number of details that uh, just you know had, had slipped my mind with uh, the passage of time. And uh, it's really a blast to have gone back and seen this, and I'm glad we did. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, kind of, uh, I hope this. I hope this plotline is not too generic. Interrupt me at any time sure. uh, to uh, interject information that I mm. don't know, or that people might know, or that might just uh, make me feel like you know way more than me, which <laughs> won't take much. <sighs> In an icy North American region, an unknown aircraft is shot down by an American fighter jet. The aircraft crashes, and its cargo, a low-level atomic bomb, explodes. The resulting cataclysm awakens a giant prehistoric monster called Gamera, who has the appearance of a giant turtle with uh, tusks and uh, uh, and teeth. Mm-hmm. Not a lot of teeth on turtles. It's kind of weird. Yeah. A Japanese scientist on an expedition, including Dr. Hidaga, uh, Hidaka, I'm Hidaka. sorry, uh, 
are, are nearby and are given a devil stone by an Eskimo chieftain who explains that the creature is called Gamera. So we luckily have people mm. on hand to yeah. give us this creature's name instead of having have having uh, to have some convoluted way in which we learn <laughs> their name. Not not that the Eskimo... Well, it's much better than in the third Gamera film where uh, they decided to call the enemy monster Gaios because the little boy says, that is the sound he makes. <laughs> we come, I call him Gaios because that's how sound he is. That is like, the sound that he makes. Which it's not, for one thing, but, you know, hey, you know, I would have beat <laughs> now, up that it, little kid if I'd you been a kid. It, it, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll talk about the potential for child murder later uh, on. Yeah, okay. Because I got a bone to... Anyway. <laughs> uh, well, Gamera destroys the American jet with his fire breath and escapes into the sea. Now... I will interrupt for just a moment to say that the moment you have a giant prehistoric monster mm-hmm. coming out of the ice and breathing fire, I don't think what the movie pushes you toward later, which is, ooh, dragons, I think motherfuckers ripping off Godzilla. <laughs> yes, right? yes. But I don't mind that. Don't get me mm-hmm. wrong. Mm-hmm. But to pretend otherwise. Oh, sure, yeah, yeah. Now they do some interesting things with Gamera later on. I, I do mm-hmm. like the uh, the kind of uh, and, I, and and I wonder. Okay, later in the film, what we discover is that one of the thing the the thing that uh, Gamera seems to need to consume is uh, uh, fire. Essentially, mm-hmm. uh, uh, anything that will burn, he kind of consumes mm-hmm. this stuff. So he doesn't just breathe it. This is how he sustains himself. And I often wondered at what point in the Godzilla series was it posited, and I can be misremembering this, was it posited that one of the reasons why Godzilla often went toward uh, power plants, and uh, especially nuclear power plants, was because that he was attracted by the radiation because he fed off of it? Well, my first, and you know, there's probably all sorts of people going to slam me for this and call me out on it for being wrong, but what my memory of it is that that idea was first put forth in what's known as either the Return of Godzilla or Godzilla 85, uh, oh, okay. Here's Godzilla 85 and Return of Godzilla in Japan. But I believe that is the earliest first Godzilla movie that I remember uh, him actually being attracted to feeding on on, on nuclear power. Okay. Uh, and, of course, it was an idea. That, and then, of course, they took the, the idea even further in the in the legendary pictures, Godzilla. You know, the, yeah. the, the fact that the idea that these ancient creatures, when the Earth was core, was so much more radioactive, and when the Earth itself was so much more radioactive, that all of these monsters essentially fed on... Radiation, and then of course that's when they—that's why they went down to the bottom of the sea and down into the ground—is because as the core became less and less radioactive, they had to to delve and live far, far deeper beneath the crust in order to be able to 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 still feed on that radiation. But yes, I think I'm right about that. Uh, You know, just off the top of my head, there, uh, I think that it was Godzilla '85 was the was the film that first kind of put that that idea forth there. Okay, I didn't. Or or, or that would be yeah, Return of Godzilla. That'd be Mm -hmm. Gojira '84, Mm -hmm. whatever they want to call Mm -hmm. it. Okay, well, if, if if. Uh, if Troy is incorrect, Jason. Uh, yes, yes, please. Some, right please. In. Like I said, I, I yes. I, right in and let us know. I, I will say right now, I, I, other people might think me an expert on these films. All I have to do, if I ever think of myself as an expert, is go to G Fest. They have a, <laughs> they have this thing called Jeopardy. They call it G Party. It's it's basically a, a takeoff on Jeopardy, but it's a Jeopardy style game for people. That's all Godzilla trivia, giant monster kaiju trivia. I've never participated. I don't intend to. Uh, but one time I did set in the audience a little bit to see how this game went and quickly figured out that I wouldn't make it around. 
and these things, the questions they ask, oh my God. I mean, these people who are able to win this game, I mean, they're talking, you're talking serious, serious levels of, of expertise. Uh, they were asking questions I had no idea. So, like I said, well, I, thought, I watched about 30 minutes of the, the, the Godzilla Jeopardy thing oh, did you? this year. I, I just got fascinated by yeah, it. Yeah. And uh, I think out of all the questions that got asked and mm-hmm. answered, mm-hmm. Uh, I think I knew one. <laughs> yeah, yeah. In that half of an hour that I watched, and yeah. I realized, oh, geez, man, I, <laughs> yeah. I knew yeah. I was, a, I knew I was a, a neophyte and a, and and just completely unknowledgeable about this stuff. But some of the things that they, I mean, I know. Some, and some of it seemed like it would be pretty easy to know. And I still didn't know it. No, yeah, it's, it's yeah, like I said, yeah. If I ever need to be humbled, all I gotta do is just sit in a little while in one of those games. There. <laughs> <laughs> well, all right. Well, Gamera heads to Japan and surfaces uh, from uh, Sagiami Bay, where Toshi, a boy releasing his own sad pet turtle, mm-hmm. sees him. Um, do I want to talk about Toshi now, or do I want to save up my anger, hatred, and resentment for later? Uh, it's um, Toshio, and I can tell already that you're... Toshio, I'm sorry, yes. Yeah, I can tell already. I'm not quite as hard on Toshio as a lot of people are. Or, like, I'll say this. Compared to... Uh, he doesn't actually annoy me as much as some other kids in these type films do, but we can we can get into that anytime. Now, later, whatever, or do we want to... I'm just going to say that I want to defend myself before my, mm. my vitriolic expulsions of desired murder come out later on. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I will say that I, I do like children. Yes, yes. Uh, I just I spent all of G Fest in the pres- in the presence of uh, of a young man who I who I, I thoroughly enjoyed spending all of the time that I spent with him. He's a good kid. Mm. I like kids in general. I like hanging out with kids. Not a problem. Um, I hate this little fucker. <laughs> I hate this little fucker mm-hmm. because he doesn't listen. He's an idiot. <laughs> I suspect that he was dropped on his head as a youth. And I also suspect that somewhere, somebody, soon after this film concluded, mm-hmm. murdered him there in that mm-hmm. story. They have to have murdered him. Because this little bastard puts more people in mortal jeopardy for no good reason than any human being ever has the right to. And he does it because he's a stupid little shit. Now, having said that, mm-hmm. he is also a plot device. And I know that my anger toward a plot device is silly. <laughs> And therefore, I should kind of rein it in, and and not not go off on this rant that I feel myself moving toward. It's when plot devices wear those little shorts that the Japanese kids do. It really makes you feel murderous, right? That's <laughs> and have the most irritating, goddamn whiny voices. Oh, I hate Toshio in such a visceral way. I want mm-hmm. to see him slowly picked apart by a giant turtle and devoured. Okay, but now you're talking you're talking about the dubbed whiny voice, though, right? Uh, I'm talking about the Japanese voice, too. Really? I'm talking about both. See, I didn't find that the Japanese voice uh, was... I felt it very mild compared to a lot of these, okay. a lot of kids okay. in this. <laughs> one, of the, one, of the, one of the more interesting and funny things about the original way in which I saw this on mm-hmm. Mystery Science Theater right. was that the dub, they, they dub uh, kind of a... They, they kind of take the idea that he his pet turtle uh, is, is often called... It's called, it's called Tibby. Well, in the Japanese version, what you understand is that what he's saying is actually the Japanese phrase for peewee. And it's a little bitty turtle, and you understand mm-hmm. why this kid would call this this turtle peewee. Mm-hmm. But it sounds like Tibby. Oh, okay. yeah, yeah, All yeah right? it does, yeah. Sounds like Tibby. Yeah. That's what it sounds like to English ears. Mm-hmm. Japanese or English version, it doesn't matter. Every time he says that name, I want to slowly strangle him until his eyeballs <laughs> pop out of his little skull. Mm-hmm. And I know that's wrong. 
I know that makes me a bad no, person. No, no, no. no. I, it makes me someone irrationally angry at a fictional character. No, I've, I've, I've felt that way about many of these kids in these films, <laughs> which is why it kind of surprised me that I didn't so much in, in, in this film. Please, this little fucker <laughs> runs up to that train. They should have let that shithead die right... Oh, that's later in the movie. I'll let it go. God, that little fucker. All right. God. <sighs> If we have to assume most of you know this, if you don't know, the tagline for Gamera is always "friend to children." So, <laughs> Gamera is is disposed to predisposed to liking children, and so really, you know that that that's why in this one, I see, am not. If I you hear people, not. if you hear well, I was going to say, if you hear people, a lot of times who are have only had a passing interest or a passing exposure to Japanese giant monster films, often not only will they describe them as. <clears throat> oh, the guys in rubber suits stomping on the matchstick cities. A lot of times they'll throw in, and there's always the annoying little kid there. And of course, when you really watch them and know them well, you realize that there's actually not that many percentage of these films that have annoying little kid at the center. In fact, the Godzilla series, which a lot of people do have in their head, there was always this little kid. There's really only about three of the films that actually have a little kid as a, a main character. However, it's the Gamera films you have to blame for that because the original <laughs> the original Gamera series, there's only one film that doesn't have a kid in it as a major character at all. And coincidentally, it's my favorite one of the entire uh, early run, which is the second <laughs> second film, which is Gamera, Gamera versus uh, Barugan, uh, actually. Uh, not always called it Gamera versus Baragon, but it's uh, I believe it's actually Barugan. There's a B-A-R-U rather than B-A-R-A, like the uh, Baragon in the Toho series. In the series. Toho series. Yeah, yeah. I've always gotten those two monster names mixed up. Very easy to do, yeah. Pronounced them the same way. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. <clears throat> All right, all right. So anyway, let's continue with our plot. Let's let's <coughs> let's 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 ignore Rod's total <laughs> yeah. burst of anger and move forward. Gamera destroys the city of Fujisawa and a lighthouse. Now this is the lighthouse at which young little Master <laughs> Toshio lives. <laughs> However, Gamera also rescues Toshio for no goddamn good reason from falling <clears throat> from that lighthouse, and then he retreats back into the sea. Scientists and government officials hold a conference to discuss killing the monster. Get used to them conferences. Get used to them a lot. Gamera then destroys a research ship, kills the crew, and heads to Tokyo. There he is attacked with freeze bombs, and that's a that's a pretty good idea. I love the fact that we have mm-hmm. these scientists mm-hmm. and military men working together. Yep. Yep. They have the, the the military men know that they mm-hmm. have this this freeze these freeze bombs. Mm-hmm. They have a you know they only last a certain period of time, but uh, they work they they work out how they can use these things mm-hmm. to kind of hold the dude hold the monster in place, and uh, smartly they flip that fucking turtle on his back. Yeah, I love the fact that they wasted that they actually address that whole thing that everybody knows about turtles. And, yeah. uh, and they're even, I love the way they're even taunting him, like, what's he's on his back. Oh, I know. Like, they, Ooh, big camera. Once they you flip know? him on his back, they, free, they, freeze him, <coughs> they freeze him on a hillside. They blow a big chunk mm. out of the hillside, so he falls down the hillside mm. and, and falls onto his back. Uh, taunt him. Yes. Which I thought was a, I thought was a little bit obnoxious. Like, it, it, well, it is obnoxious, you know. <laughs> but the whole idea is they do this to him, mm. and then they can just wait for this giant monster to die of starvation. And then when the stench dies away in roughly ten years, yeah, maybe they can we study, can study this. him. Yes, yes the, exactly. That's something that I think that they they may have overlooked. Yes, in the, in is their, the fact that in their quest to to find a way to kill it, you'd have to evacuate the whole village because of the smell. <laughs> I know <laughs> the stench of a dead turtle is not going to go over well. <laughs> I say this from youthful experience. Uh, Gamera then pulls his head, limbs, and tail into his shell, emits flames out of his arm and leg cavities, and flies away by rising up 
and rising up into the air and spinning around like a flying saucer. Mm-hmm. Okay, there's a lot of reasons I like this. Uh, first of all, it's, com- it's completely batshit crazy. Oh, it is. Uh, this it's, it's this nice. turtle has the ability to emit flames from its leg and armholes and then rotate in a circle and fly. But I love the idea that we now have like this way in which this creature's flying around the world uh, in the middle of the night. And I love the animation of it, too. I do, too. I do, too. I actually wish that they had done more of that in the later... I don't know how it would yeah. have looked as I don't know if it looked as effective in the color films, but in this film, I love the animation of him flying. You know, it's, I wish that they well, it's, and, to, and to back up, there's a, there, there are a number of points in this film, and not just in his his in his flying uh, the, the scenes of him flying, uh, but when he's breaking out of the ice near the uh, near that ice breaking ship, mm-hmm. uh, and he's like he like bashes the shit out of that ship, mm-hmm. and there's the, the the people are trying to are the, all the, the yeah. crewmen are getting off the ship and running across the ice. Mm-hmm. That shot, the all the people running away from it in the distance are animated yeah. and it's really effectively it really done. It's is. a really clever bit of uh, animation mm. used mm. to get across the idea to kind of fool your mm. eye and to let these miniatures look all that more realistic. Yes. And it's another one of those little details that I had forgotten about until mm-hmm. this viewing of it and going back and seeing these things and going, man, mm. they really were working their asses off mm. to make this seem as realistic and interesting as possible because they didn't have to do that because right. no, nobody, nobody really, nobody would have slighted the film for no. not adding that detail, but they did and it's yeah. nice. So the little bits of animation mm-hmm. that are used to enhance the special effects, the the miniature work, and through, throughout this movie, are really nice and I really are really well done. And I think you may be right that um, I, like I say, I've not gone and studied the, the ones that they were they did after this that were all in color, and uh, some of the some of the, the the fooling of the eye may be part of mm-hmm. the black and white photography. Yeah, and it's and it's very well the film is very well shot and. And those animated bits are well integrated, but a lot of that is because they're able to use, mm-hmm. you know, dark images and shadows and, mm-hmm. uh, you know, light light and dark images and flickering things to get across the idea of what you're looking mm-hmm. at so that it's easier to communicate in black and white than it probably would be in color. So I don't know if it, in later mm-hmm. films they even tried some of this stuff. No, that's, to my knowledge, that's the only one that by the time we even get to the second film, I think from the second film on, I believe every time you see him flying, it's literally just the spinning model uh, with the okay. flames, which is still a great effect. I mean, it's just yeah, great the way that, that they, I mean, it's you said it's totally preposterous, but it's just such a wonderful idea that they, and, and, and they do a great job with that. Uh, one of the things I like story-wise about what we've just talked about here is the fact that we as viewers have seen we know early on that he has these powers we've seen him breathe fire right and we've seen him fly as far as the thing spinning around it but nobody else in the film has and i think that's kind of neat that as a viewer you get that knowledge before the extra before it becomes known to oh, the yeah. people who actually deal that you know he breathes fires before they see it and you know that he's he can fly before they do um and really honestly you know if you were going in this film and knew nothing about gamma at all the first couple of times the first time we see people watching this flying thing in the air, we might not totally know that it is Gamera. We might think maybe it is a flying saucer, you know, that's somehow some other aspect of the story. You might not really have known people seeing this film for the first time if they didn't give it away in the original trailers and things like that. They might not have actually known that that was Gamera until he does actually fly in front of the other characters. I don't know. That would be interesting to experience it that way yeah. and realize all along that he, he that, it's, that it's been him you've been seeing because... In those early animation things, you don't really see it close enough to see that it's a shell in there spinning around. You just see this glowing the thing glowing flying thing through in the, the air. Sky, yeah. yeah. So. A side, a side thing. Uh, have you ever gotten the chance to see any of the Gamera movies on on the big screen? I have not. I've ne- never have. I don't. 
No, I don't recall any time. I was trying to think, was there any kind of like, uh, you know, marathon or revival show, you know, some sort of, but I don't believe I've ever seen a Gamera film on the big screen. No. Yeah. No. Neither have I, neither have I. It's mm. kind of a, I'd, I'd love to get the chance. That'd be, that'd yeah. be nice if uh, there was some kind of, uh, mm. some revival screenings or something. They probably have shown, I think they've at least shown the nineties ones. They may have even shown some of the classic ones at the Pickwick theater. But as I said, I've never, since I only usually get up there, yeah, the, Friday, the, Friday, the, the, yeah. Pick, the Pickwick Theater is the the one that's associated with uh, G Fest. Yes, yeah. and uh, I've never gotten a chance to make it out to the Pickwick in all these years I've been going. So uh, it may have they may have shown some of them there, but I would love to see them on a big screen. I'm, uh, I imagine they're they're uh, a blast to yeah. see that way. They'd have to be awesome. I would I would love to. Hello, I'm Jish, along with my guests, the noted zoologist Dr. Emery Contrer, author of the Factual Basis of Legends, and on my right. This network's genial science editor, author of such books as Non-Science or Nonsense, Jules Manning. Our subject, the giant turtle Gamera, certainly one of the most controversial subjects of our time. Dr. Contraire, earlier in our program, you stated the belief that Gamera could in fact exist, while Mr. Manning disagreed rather vigorously. And I still do. This theory of Dr. Hadaka's is pure science fiction, a figment of an unbridled imagination. Mr. Manning, any theory until proven appears unbelievable to the ignorant. Dr. Hadaka's conclusions are based upon a life study. Now, let me restate that uh, turtles, porpoises, or scientifically, colonians, appear constantly in the most ancient texts. Uh, for example, the uh, Greek Terribulia mythology that lived in fire, and uh, also the uh, Pyrabola of Pliny. What are you trying to prove, Doctor? Uh, that to a scholar, uh, there is more than just a casual basis for Dr. Hidaka's conclusions. Now, we know for a fact that a mere million years ago or so, the gigantic Kalasakalis Atlas plodded over the hills of northern India, the largest turtle ever known, a link to the more distant past. Now, how gigantic were turtles a hundred million years ago, or even two hundred million years ago? I'd like to discuss the conflicting newspaper reports. So you and the eminent Dr. Hidaka conclude that this Gamera creature has been hibernating underground for 200 million years until now, when he decides to take a stroll. <laughs> oh, Dr. Contrera, you do have a sense of humor. <laughs> <laughs> I'm simply advancing the theory that the uh, great granddaddy of all turtles could have reappeared released from its tomb of ice by the explosion of the bomb. Now, you may blithely ignore the statements of Dr. Hidaka, if you wish. However, I note that you haven't offered a more reasonable explanation for the total destruction of the Chittaramaru. If you'll get down from your pulpit for one minute, I'd like to ask you why Washington is so silent about all this. Or do you know more about it than the government? It would not be the first time Washington has kept the truth from the public, whether it be flying saucers or Gamera. Oh, so now you believe in flying saucers, along with 200 feet turtles that survive atomic bomb explosions. <laughs> of course, we all know there really is a Santa Claus. Oh, Dr. Contrera, every time you bray, you make a bigger jackass of yourself. Jules, please, we're on the Mr. Standish, I demand an apology. I've devoted my life to science. Gentlemen, you won't get no apology from me, Contrera. I you, prefer to explain. You have no scholarships to back your arguments. You have no arguments, Gentlemen. only invective. Read, 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 read Virgil's Laocoon. Read Paradise Lost, the ravings of a lunatic. Read of the Pyrites, the fire without and the frost within. Read, you ignorant ape. 
Read what intelligent men have written for thousands of years. What did he call please, me? Jules, please. He called me an ape? No, Gentlemen. Not merely ape. Quiet. Please Ignorant remember that we're on the... Why, you? Remember that we're on the air. How dare you call me an ape? Where'd you get your diploma? Made in Japan? Ladies and gentlemen, I'm afraid that we are out of time. I hope you'll be willing to get on the What do you expect to make out of this? I'd like to tell you who the guest will be. Toshio and his family decide to stay with an uncle in Tokyo because they have nowhere else to go because the lighthouse got, you know, fucked up by the giant turtle. Mm-hmm. Toshio explains to the professor, that would be his uncle, the professor, mm-hmm. that Gamera is lonely and likes regu- and like regular turtles, he is not evil. I, I'm going to go I can't, with no, I'm can't, gonna, I'm, can't I'm, argue with him. Would I'm, you argue that turtles are evil? That, that, that I, other I'm going with no comment here. <laughs> <laughs> Dr. Hidaka, doc, I'm sorry, Dr. Hidaka, meanwhile, has observed that Gamera consumes fossil fuels and may seek out atomic bombs for the energy they provide. He also emits radio signals. This leads the Japan Atomic Energy Commission to figure out what to do with its stockpiles. Because, you know, that just mm-hmm. means, uh, damn it, we've got these big spots all over the country mm-hmm. where this damn thing's going to come to. Yeah, right. Meanwhile, disasters and accidents start to occur. Uh, Koto Ward <clears throat> is struck by flash floods and ships collide in Tokyo Bay. Dr. Idaka claims that Gamera has caused these accidents because he is hiding in the bay. Which is an idea I like. I do too. I do too. An international scientific conference is called, and they decide to use Z Plan, uh, based at Oshima Island. Hope I'm not mispronouncing these things. I think you're doing pretty well. Uh, speaking as a totally non-qualified, uh, non-qualified. Speaking as, speaking as a gaijin, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, the, the Z Plan has been has been concocted by a consortium of American, Soviet, and Japanese scientists, and the whole idea is to eradicate Gamera. Now, I love the fact that they come up and they tell us, okay, we're going to do Z-Plan. Z they don't tell us exactly what it is right, right. so that we get to mm. – we, we, we don't know what's going to happen and we just get to watch it unfold and kind of be surprised mm. by it. I, kind of, I really, really like mm. that. It's another, one of the, it's another one of the things about this movie and its structure that I really enjoy. Mm. One, that it's a fast movie. It, mm. it is a 75-minute oh, it's, it's yeah. movie. Yeah. Uh, there's very little downtime. Right. Uh, you're, you move from you know hating a child mm-hmm. to watching mm-hmm. a giant turtle mm-hmm. blow shit up. Mm-hmm. To hating a child, mm-hmm. to watching a guy, you know, Gamera fly around the world, mm-hmm. to hating a child, mm-hmm. to watching teenagers, uh, you know, listen to rock music and and try to defy authority and then be killed. Mm-hmm. Uh, all of these things are good. Mm-hmm. All of these the, the, these are the kind of things you want. The the flaws, you know, the the small children aren't being killed. That's the bad part. That's mm-hmm. the that's the, the small children <laughs> need to be. I'm gonna get on with the plot line, or I'm gonna I'm gonna get caught up in this again. But I like Z plan. Mm-hmm. But before any action can be taken, however. Uh, Gamera lands at uh, Haneda Airport, destroying the control tower, and proceeds to wreak havoc in Tokyo, mm-hmm. including destroying the Tokyo Tower, which I think is great because mm-hmm. as soon as uh, oh. as soon as Toshio and his and his and his sister show up yeah. in Tokyo and they they start talking to the uncle, they point out, "Oh, look out the window of of his yeah. office, and you can see Tokyo Tower." Uh, and it's like, it's "Oh, well, that motherfucker's well. going down." <laughs> That's some foreshadowing there. <laughs> yeah, there's, there's there's nothing like go, going to Paris and having someone go. Yeah. Well, look at the Eiffel Tower. Uh, yeah. Well, I suspect we're in a monster movie. That shit's going down. So, yep. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, Toshio and his family evacuate Tokyo because Toshio, Toshio's a fucking trouble magnet. Can you not understand this? Uh, but Toshio, at this point, disappears. Not from the movie, just from all the other characters. We, as the audience members, continue to suffer. I think we can forget about him because we don't care where he's gone. <laughs> 
Z-Plan is still not ready, and the scientists plan to keep Gamera at bay in the meantime by confining him to an oil refinery. They figure out that if they just keep flames burning, he will stay near them so that he can absorb the energy coming off of burning oils, burning gases, anything like that. Dr. Hidaka has surmised that Gamera is gaining energy by consuming fires at the refinery, and they will therefore keep shipping petroleum there by train car to keep Gamera occupied for 24 hours. That'll give them time to put mm. Z-Plan into effect. Toshio has found his way to the refinery, little fucker, <laughs> and sneaks on board the train to Gamera. <sighs> Toshio is chased by the refinery headman, and they are both thrown from the train when it explodes, but neither of them die. <sighs> <laughs> they are unharmed. Toshio is sent away, and we have to listen to a little bastard whine some more. Yeah. Now, see, this is what I'm saying. Mm-hmm. That little fucker mm-hmm. put everybody's lives in danger because he's a little fucker. I don't like Toshio. <laughs> I know. I get. I, I think we're. I I'm think sorry. We're, I'm sorry. I think we're getting that. I've got. I've got to stop talking about my hatred of Toshio. It's, <laughs> it's coloring everybody's view of the film, and that shouldn't be happening. I apologize. <laughs> my anger at this fictional character is ridiculous, and I, <laughs> I, I know it is. I'm sorry, but I love the film. In the meantime, Z-Plan is completed, and Toshio sneaks on board the ship, delivering supplies to Oshima. I can't get away from this little bastard. <laughs> I make a plan to not hate on the little bastard, and then I'm reminded by the movie that yes. the little bastard's a little bastard. Oh, God damn it. Okay, this is... Breathe. So, so, what, so what point do you want me to tell you why I don't hate Toshio <laughs> okay, as okay. much as I should, as okay. much as I would expect to? Okay. I tell you what. Tell me now. Tell this me is now. not okay. Now this is not a. It's sort of a defense, but not a real strong one because I don't. You know, I'm not just. You know, I, I believe me. I was not captivated or thought. Oh, this is a fantastic you element to you this movie. You didn't identify with Toshio because clearly <sighs> that is the flawed thinking of the filmmakers. Is that having the kid in the movie is going to well, allow the 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 target audience of the younger set of of of, of audience members. To identify with the kid on screen, which I've always, as I've said, I think well, it's flawed. I think it's a flawed way to produce these stories because as a kid, I didn't need a kid on screen to identify with. I didn't give a shit about the kid. I wanted to be Indiana Jones for fuck's sake. Okay. Well, let's, 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 let's go to the words of August Ragone, who, by the way, you'll be happy to know, hates Toshio also. But... Ah. But he has some very interesting insights on things to say about about. First of all, well, first of all, he points out that you know the idea that Gamera was going to be friendly to children was there from the first, as yeah, they created clearly. this character. Um, in the scene where Gamera saves Toshio, you know, where he falls from the lighthouse and lands in Gamera's hand, you right. know. Apparently, children did have a very strong reaction to that in, in the film. They did. Apparently, kids went you know nuts over that. They thought that was great. Okay. Now, as I've told you, the very next film in the series had no kid at all at the center of it, and it is my favorite. I do think it's the best one. I think it proves that the character could work without that element. But, you know, whether you think it was a bad idea or not, I mean, the series was very successful. Obviously, they had no reason to not do it. So from a commercial standpoint, it sounds like they had an idea that was workable. You know, I, I do oh, think yeah. that it could have, you I mean, know. You, so, you don't really want to, f- you mm. don't, re- you don't want to fuck with a, with mm. a, with a formula mm. that works. What August, Understandable. Rag- yes. Well, what August Ragone says is as he, he points out something about, you know, that, that we're, we're, he thinks that Toshio is actually not 
like a troublesome, spoiled little brat, which we get in most of these films, he actually he actually goes so far as to say that that he thinks Toshio is deranged. You know that he thinks he's <laughs> yeah, that he's that he's actually you know that because of to you know we we learned that his mother died oh. when he was when he was young. Oh, well, that's true. That's and, true. Yeah. And, 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 and at, the, at the at the beginning of the film, before we have any interaction mm-hmm. with Gamera, it's true that we do see that this is a this is mm-hmm. a, a kid who's he's got a sister and he's got a father. And he is uh, rather uh, introverted, and he seems much more uh, concerned with uh, his little turtle than he does with pretty much anything else in life, which means he is kind of a... He's a troubled kid. I'm yeah, yes, uh, I think what Ragon is pointing out is he says uh, there's points when Ragon is doing the commentary and he's and it's showing he's saying look at his eyes he's gl- he's 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 not there he's he's out there you know <laughs> he's talking to the kids just kind of in his in his own world and and I think that the way it trans the way I felt about it was that. He's not doing all these things he's doing in the film because he's just so dismissive of or so he's certainly not trying to, I think, actively cause trouble. I don't think he's even thinking at all about his actions. And I don't think he's just like being in a bratty way, like, oh, I'm just going to do whatever I want to do. I think he's so he's he's so obsessed with getting close to Gamera, you know, that he's so obsessed with with connecting in some way to to Gamera and also just didn't to me. I just didn't find the kid's performance itself to be as annoying as I found some kids in some of these other films. But I think I'm also relating this to one of the things that really did annoy me in the later Gamera films. And even as a kid, this really annoyed me was when you get to the later films and the kids are just pretty much happy go lucky, precocious, you know, brats, brats who are getting into constant trouble that Gamera's having to get them out of. They're also like directing Gamera, like what to do next, you know. And they're also like, which I'm sure the kids probably loved in, in Japan when they were saying that was the fact that they could because. Yeah, like but there's scenes so. where Gamera's fighting, and the little kids are yelling. These tiny little kids from miles away are yelling, you know, <laughs> Gamera, grab his tail, Gamera, do you know? And he's doing this, and that always just bugged the shit out of me when I was a little kid. I was like, God, if I was a giant monster, I'd just like stomp on this, like, don't tell me what to, you know. So I think maybe I'm just kind of coloring that too. Is that one of the things I think I like about this film? is you realize that Gamera only actually interacts with Toshio one time in the whole film. Yeah. That he's only even yeah. aware that Toshio is there one time in the whole film. And is he even, I mean, I think uh, maybe August Ragone that even pointed this out, or maybe I just thought of this myself, but he realized that you could almost, you could have almost passed that scene off of him res- of him saving Toshio as as almost an accident of some kind. Like, you know, if, well, if Toshio just, yeah. landed in his hands and yeah. kind of falls out of his hand, so does Gamera ever really, you know, you know first, that he's there yeah. there? And then that I thought was kind of more strong too, that it was strictly Toshio's projecting. The other thing I'll say is if you're gonna make if you're going to put it a stipulation that you're going to have to have a kid as your main character, what the hell else are you gonna have him do if he's not going to be getting into trouble and, and stirring things up? Because otherwise he's not a scientist, he's not a soldier, he's not a reporter, you know, he's just gonna be standing there going, Ooh, ah, I mean you gotta give the gotta give the character something to do. And unfortunately with kids, most of the time it turns out being being doing not what they're told and being in the wrong place at the wrong time. And I, I agree, it's annoying and, you know, you want to pummel them, but... I have some suggestions. Yes, yes. Here's so. what you do. Here's what okay. you do. All right. To make this kid less annoying, mm-hmm. since he's going to be around the mm-hmm. people who are mm-hmm. involved in attempting mm-hmm. to figure out how to contain mm-hmm. or kill Gamera, what you do is you have the kid kind of be, fa- of course, be completely fascinated by this giant monster. Right. And how you have him involved in what's going on is you have the kid be someone who says something, who's around and kind of ignored by the adults as they're attempting to make decisions or or figure things out. And have the kid have the kind of childlike, intuitive idea that they hear 
and then realize they can expand into something that actually will work. And that's what we get with if we ever if we move forward in the series and do this, the third film, Gamma versus Gaios, actually has more of that element you're talking about. So it'll be interesting if we ever do that film and see if you find that kid's yeah. character yeah. more because that's sort of where they go with that kid in that movie is they have him occasionally just kind of throw off the top of his head little intuitives or things that he yeah. knows about the monster and the light kind of goes off in their in their head and they're like and see, I if, as, as I look back on this movie, that's kind of what I thought they might have had in mm-hmm. mind because mm-hmm. they have this kid who they make very clear is mm-hmm. obsessed with turtles, right. who spends a lot of his time not just playing with his turtle, mm-hmm. but also like reading about turtles and learning about them. And he seems obsessed to the point of that being mm-hmm. the only the only mm-hmm. uh, study he has any interest in. So yeah. if he, as this kid who has all this knowledge, mm. you know, almost autistically battering mm. around inside his skull mm. about this species, you know, about turtles in general. Mm. If they had played him as this kid who, because of all this knowledge, occasionally has some insight that the adults and don't you, have yeah. because of his laser-like you uh, mean attention something, to something better than turtles are lonely and not evil? You mean yeah. something more useful turtles than that? Are just lo- yeah. <laughs> turtles are lonely and they love us all. And they like popcorn. No, they don't like popcorn, you sorry sack of shit. No, if they'd gone in that direction, then you have a reason for this kid to be there and to have some kind of agency that mm-hmm. does not make him mm-hmm. not, that does not make him a hateful creature mm. causing other people to have to, to save their, his yeah, life. Yeah. Mm. He's actually someone who's adding to it. Even if the kid is, even if you played the kid off in such a way where he didn't really always realize that he was contributing something to the conversation or contributing mm. something to the, the, the ongoing war against this mm. giant monster. Mm. Um, you could even have him, you know, express these things in a way and then regret mm. that he may have had something to do with some damage done to this giant monster that he kind of admires and, and enjoys seeing. That would have been interesting. That could mm. have been that that could have been interesting. But of mm. course maybe I'm maybe mm. I'm asking for something that a movie made in nineteen sixty five just was not capable of mm. doing. Uh, not from you know not having the ability, but not having the mindset that 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 idea not having mm-hmm. not not being something that would have occurred to someone writing this kind of story in 1965. I'm trying to recall if this might be the first kaiju film with a young child as such a major character. Putting in the context of 65, I don't think that the Godzilla films by that point. I think it's certainly not. I mean, had, had certainly not reached that point because this well, was the before. only God, the, the first Godzilla film I know of specifically, and of course my 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 knowledge is incredibly spotty. Is Godzilla's Revenge, aka right. All Monsters Attack? No, I believe so, that's the first one, and that's certainly after this. Yeah, that's 1968 or nine. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so I don't um, unless there was something that was made. That I'm not aware of, you know, I don't know, 65, I really have to think this might be the first one that had a kid as, as so maybe so, you know, this first experimenting with trying to do this kind of thing. So I guess there yeah, were maybe, sort of in uncharted maybe. waters there maybe, but interesting. Cool. Let's go, camera. Camera. We've been eating Gamera. Shell, teeth, eyes, flames, claws, breath, scales, fun. Dr. Forrester is kind of a jerk, and Frank is really dumb, too. We have to take part in these lame experiments. But do we complain? No. No. Yes. Huh? So we keep all over the place. And talk of a thousand wonderful days. Everybody now. Gamera is really sweet. He is filled with turtle meat. Now we have commercial signs. 
Okay, I will. Uh, uh, I, I, I will get us back onto Z Plan. I swear to God, this, mm-hmm. this we derailed ourselves. When we last left Z Plan, Toshio was sneaking on board the ship, delivering supplies to Oshima. Uh, Gamera is lured to Oshima by lighting an oil slick path from Tokyo to the island, but an oncoming typhoon blows the fire out. Now, Agoya, or I'm sorry, Aoyaga. Ayoyagi, the, Ayag- the, the, the journalist. I would call it Ayagi, Ayagi, I guess, but you got me. I'm not totally sure on that one. He's, he's, he's the journalist he's, character yes, who's kind of followed Dr. Hidaga through most of the film. Mm-hmm. This guy I, I, got the I, sweets for Kyoko, who is Dr. Hidaka's uh, assistant there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and, you know, he's he's actually a pretty good little character. None, yeah. none of the adult characters in this movie I found irritating. No, no. I, I, I really enjoyed them, and I like, what, uh, I like what the journalist guy does here. He starts a bonfire. And Gamera makes his way to a volcano erupting on the island. Uh, the next day, Z-Plan is put into action. Of course, what the journalist did actually kept Gamera from like wandering yeah, away. Yeah. He, he did something that the military people weren't willing to do for fear of actually not having enough uh, fuel uh, still on the island to keep Gamera there. And Gamera was in danger because the typhoon blew the fire out of just like wandering off and them losing the chance to actually enact Plan Z. And I really love that whole sequence there where they keep Get thinking where it just keeps looking one after another like it's doomed, you know, like one thing after yeah. another, however contrived it might be. A lot of times they don't necessarily think these sequences out well enough, you know, sometimes to give them that kind of mounting tension. But here right, the fact right. you have first the, the flames blown out by the the wind and, you know, and, and then really then the next thing he does, which Yagi yeah. does, which is to think, which is very clever to think of just set the buildings just on fire. Just set this whole damn building but on fire. But then it starts okay. friggin' raining on and puts and puts those out. And, yeah. you know, so it's, it's it's you know, and then, you know, then, of course, they have the convenient erupting volcano. But, again, at least they're building this kind of feeling of, like, where yeah. you, you keep thinking, like, oh, God, what the hell are they going to do they gonna now? What are they going to do next? Yeah. And, and so it's, I like the way, you know, that they kind of built that scene that way. I, I agree with you. It's, it's well constructed. Although, yes, yes by the, the time we get to the erupting volcano, you're just like, what the fuck is going on? Here? Yeah, <laughs> how did we get to the erupting volcano again? According to August Ragon, that is though, and it is an active volcano. So it is a. I mean, it is on a, that island. Yes, that that actual oh. volcano. That's a real volcano well, that, that makes that, it even cool that's had erupt has erupted every now and then through the centuries and so it is a continual potential the potential it could erupt and they've used it in a couple of godzilla films too uh it's it's a very conveniently erupting uh volcano in, in kaiju <laughs> films but it does it is a real thing so well that's cool to know that mm-hmm. adds that mm-hmm. adds a level of cool to that whole mm-hmm. thing then because mm-hmm. it's always been one thing that are, where i've kind of rolled my eyes a little mm-hmm. bit and now i don't have to feel that way mm-hmm. anymore that's great i know before that you're kind of like you know did anyone notice that big volcano just living over just so right over there yeah yeah <laughs> Did no one else think this might be a bad idea? I mean, lava hurts. Yeah. <laughs> just, I, I learned that a long time ago. I didn't even have to get near it. <laughs> All right. Well, the next day, Z-Plan Z is finally put into action. Gamera is lured to a rocket and then encased in the head of the rocket mm-hmm. and then blasted off to Mars. Now, I've just described in simple terms mm-hmm. what on screen just looks cool as shit. Yeah, oh yeah, oh yeah. It's really a cool sequence, mm-hmm. and I really like the the way they construct it. I like the miniatures. The only thing I don't like about the entire segment is that when the rest of the, the body of the rocket rises up out of the, the hole in the ground, it, it shakes a little too much, mm-hmm. and it kind of gives mm-hmm. away very obviously mm-hmm. that, it's a, that it's a miniature. But other than that, I really like this whole sequence. That's fine. Do they, because somehow I managed to either miss it totally or missed it in my notes, but I don't remember, do, do they ever actually tell why they happened to be already constructing this thing before they even knew there was a Gamera, why they had been working on this? Obviously, what its original purpose was, why you would create a huge 
monster-sized dome that just <laughs> that can encase well, the, the... I think the monsters... I think it was just to encase uh, uh, Toshi, Toshio. <laughs> I think that they had had enough of him. <laughs> shoot him to Mars. I think we all should have I'm surprised they didn't contrive to... Like, yeah, Toshio, go stand next to the big turtle <laughs> there. <laughs> yeah. You know, honestly, Toshio would have gone had they yes, told he him that, hey, we're going to yeah. shoot Gamera to Mars and we'd like to put you in there too. He would actually have done it. <laughs> oh, Lord. Well, after blasting uh, Gamera off to Mars... Uh, uh, there's a worldwide announcement of the success, and uh, of course this is a, this is a, a triumph of science over mm-hmm. ideology because everyone came together and, mm-hmm. and they did this to get they did this as a as a group. Mm-hmm. It was Earth defeating this horrible monster. And as one of the characters, you're right. One of the characters in a line that would have pleased Ishiro Honda, saying like, perhaps now we can move forward without ideological boundaries. And as we all know in the world, we are doing exactly that today. <laughs> <laughs> Yes, of course. That's exactly, <laughs> that's exactly that's, what we're doing. That's exactly what the world is like right yes. now, you fucking bastard. <laughs> oh god. Now well, come on, when we now come on, you could see when the smile broke out on Toshio's face. Come on, tell me you got a warm spot in your heart by by Well, Toshio decides he's not sad because yeah. he's going to be a scientist so he can go visit Gamera on Mars one day. And my thought is please sooner, sooner than later. <laughs> sooner than later, that's right. <laughs> okay. Now, although I could not get all the way through a description of this of this film without uh, making a few minor comments about mm-hmm. Toshio and how much I dis- dislike mm-hmm. the character. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> yeah, mm-hmm. I, I do love this movie. I really yeah. do get a yeah. kick out of it, and it's mm-hmm. not just my general uh, love of giant monster movies. No. I like giant it, monster movies. Yeah. I, I make no bones about that. Yeah, but there's a certain charm to this movie. Yes, and I've kind of broken it out. I, what I feel. There, there are a few main points about the movie that make mm-hmm. it appeal to me um, in kind of a special way. Mm-hmm. And the first is kind of obvious. Uh, it's in black and white. Mm-hmm. There's a certain joy I get um, that, from uh, an old black and white monster movie. Mm-hmm. There's a charm level yeah. to it. Yeah. Uh, it, yeah. it I feel I, it's, it's, it's similar to why I enjoy watching the old uh, Republic serials and mm-hmm. Columbia serials made in the 30s and 40s. Uh, the, the the chapter plays. There's a there's a not just a nostalgic kitsch level of fun to it, but there's also just something about them that feels kind of fascinating to me. I, I like the look back into the past, not just uh, what what kind of stories they were telling and how they were telling them, but also just the the glimpses into everyday life when these when these movies go out onto actual streets and we film in real locations. I just I like all mm-hmm. of this stuff. Mm-hmm. I like uh, getting a look at just what the uh, the idea of this kind of movie was at that point in time, and it's kind of fascinating. So there's just that kind of surface level. It's a black and white movie about mm-hmm. monsters, and I enjoy that kind of thing. But other things, other other silos of information, perhaps, are that I enjoy the type of film we're talking about, and I enjoy the different approach. There's a lot of similarities between the different giant monster movies, but Gamera takes a very different approach in mm-hmm. some areas, mm-hmm. um, while having a lot of similarities, and, and mm-hmm. from a maybe 50,000-foot vantage point, it'd be easy to say that it's very similar to a lot of uh, Gamera movies from early in the 60s, and you'd be right to a degree. But it's in the details where you get into some really fascinating stuff. The almost carefully concealed, not really concealed, I guess, but kind of underplayed elements of the story, like um, the fact that the kid is, you know, he he comes from a single parent home. Mm -hmm. 
that's that's a neat little detail there. Mm-hmm. I like the interactions where the father early in the movie is attempting to find a way to connect yeah, with that, his those son. Those are good scenes, yeah. Because I think the 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 father character is very sympathetic, mm-hmm. and it's clear that he is dealing with a little devilish maniac who should mm-hmm. be smothered. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> I, no, no, nothing. I, I know what you wanted to do. You just wanted to marry Toshio's cute sister, and then, <laughs> and then you can then you can like really bring the hammer down on raising raising raise him to be raise a, that kid right. Raise that kid right. Yeah. So so there's there's that element of kind of liking uh, seeing some of the family interactions. Mm-hmm. Um, they're, 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 they're small little bits, that, but, they're, but they're, uh, they're an enjoyable piece. Another thing that I enjoy is uh, watching a movie in which we are seeing smart people, the scientists mm-hmm. and the, the uh, intelligent members of the upper echelon of the military, put their heads together and try to just find the, the best way to do what they've got to do. These are people who are, they're, they're not backbiting each other. They're, they're not fighting amongst each other. They're attempting to find a way to do what they've got to do. And anybody and everybody can toss in ideas and have those ideas judged. And it's really interesting to watch these people who are very much coming together, mm-hmm. trying to figure things out and doing it effectively, even though there are mistakes made along the way. These, these mistakes are, are never turned into uh, points at which to insult or degrade or or be angry at another character because everybody seems to know that everybody is doing their damnedest to get this done because we're all in danger here. I mean, we mm-hmm. can all be killed. I like that aspect of it. I also really enjoy the fact that the pace of this film, mm-hmm. as we've mentioned already, mm-hmm. is really swift. Um, there's not a lot of fat in this movie at all. No. Mm-hmm. Um, it, 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 as a matter of fact, I think, as we've, as we've already said, I think that the, the longer American version, uh, they don't really seem to cut much out of the Japanese cut of the movie. They just seem to add their own shit. Mm-hmm. And it's those additions that I think kind of weigh the American version down and make it seem like a complete waste <clears throat> of time. Well, but one thing that they do, and I think I'm right about this, uh, you have to correct me since you watched the American version more recently than me, is uh, did they did I believe cut out the um, scenes of American actors that are in the uh the, the of as far as the American military scenes of a of military personnel discussing kind of doing the same thing. Oh being yes, American. they did. And yes. thank yes. God because the uh, once again we're dealing Agreed. with the continual problem of horrendous line de- delivery uh, by <laughs> non actors. Yeah, the non actor. Yes, uh, and um, August Ragone points out that. At that time, very many, uh, most of the Americans, you know, in Japan were either on the military bases or they worked like in hotels and stuff. And so a lot of times the, when they needed people to play those parts, the movie studios would go, that's where they would recruit them from, from the hotels and from the, from the military bases. And these people weren't actors and my God, does it show when they would <laughs> like read those show? lines. And so that's one, it's, if there's any advantage to the American version, it's that in, in, in filming the new scenes with at least people who could act, they yeah. were they were knocking out those just painful scenes. And you're uh, you're right. Yeah. Those scenes are not in the American mm. version of the film. Mm. And that is a that is a very <laughs> that is a very good yeah. point. Yeah. Uh, ha- not having those incredibly poorly acted sequences mm. of uh quote unquote American military people <laughs> right. uh, talking about what they're seeing on radar mm. and you know this mm. plane's flying there, here and yon. Yeah, none of those guys could act worth a shit. <laughs> And they're, I mean, they're, they're terrible. And, but at the same time, I would rather 
have those scenes in the movie and not have an extra 15 minutes yeah. of running. No, I agree with you. I much prefer the, the Japanese version in this case to uh, those, yeah, those American scenes, you know, they really don't add anything at all to the film. Now, this brings me to uh, one of several questions I have for you mm-hmm. as the, the giant monster fanatic. I'm assuming that the first time you ever saw this film was probably on American television and therefore was the American version with all the extra added scenes with Brian Dunleavy and Albert Decker and all those people, mm-hmm. right? It was, uh, Oddly, I only saw this film once, though. Uh, and when I was when I was a kid, the um, I did see it one time on American television. But the two the films that the Gamma films I really grew up with, you know, what would be like my first ten or twelve years of my life, what they would show on the television were the second and third films, uh, Gamma versus Barugan and Gamma versus Giles, which okay. were called which here were called uh, Attack of the Giant Monsters and like. Return of the Giant Monsters, very generic titles, but that's what they, those are the films that played over and over and that I really became familiar with. But I only saw the original Gamera once as a kid and did not see it again really until uh, probably I was probably in my late teens, you know, when they finally showed it again on the, the UA, when the UHF channels came in. Uh, and probably I, because it was in black and white. Yeah, probably very good, very good possibility. Yeah. Uh, but so yeah, so it was a film I saw young, but was not one of the ones that I really became intimately familiar with, just new scene by scene, like I did the second and third in the series. Okay, interesting. So, when when were you able to sit down and finally see the Japanese version of the film? Uh, that wouldn't have been until uh, the bootleg tapes, uh, bootleg VHSs. I'll go ahead and say that I was going to bring this up anyway, so this is a good segue into saying that I'm going to tell a little anecdote here, which I think most anybody of, of all that collect DVDs or, or, or fans of movies, collecting movies in different media, will probably have had this happen to them at some point or another with some type of series, but I literally own the original Gamera series in in four different ways. (laughs) 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 The first one being uh, when I was able to get a hold of bootleg VHS tapes that were made from... um, I believe at this time it would have been Japanese Laserdisc of the Gamera films. Yeah, okay. So that's how I was first able to see the actual Japanese versions of these films. Was that in these that VHS makes sense. Films. I remember, I yeah. remember there being a mm. number of you mm. know VHS bootlegs back in the mid nineties mm. that mm. were taken from Japanese Laser. So that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. So about the whole series, which by the way is uh, um, really eight films altogether, the original Japanese series. Now the the first seven were made bam, 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 one year after another, and then they waited until the eighties to kind of make a cap off to the series, which is just insane and really bad, but it is you know, I do consider it kind of the And the, the, re- the, and the, and the reason for the series ending uh was when it did was because Dai went bankrupt. Sure. The the production the production company went bankrupt. Exactly. So so anyway, so I had these VHS tapes. Well then there started to become when when DVD technology came along and we started to be able to get DVD-Rs that were made from Japanese DVDs. They were DVD-Rs, but they looked great because they were made from really nice Japanese DVDs of the Gamera series. Because so here's the thing: I have it on VHS, so I can't sell those. I can't do anything with those VHS tapes. I mean, it's not like I can take them to, you know, some used, you know, because nobody's going to buy them because they're covered with Japanese writing and they're, you know, they're bootleg no. tapes, you know. So I couldn't sell them off. So I get the DVD-Rs. And have those. And they're bootlegs, too. They're bootlegs, too. So then when Shout Factory comes out with their awesome DVD series, you know, come out with all the original Gamera series on their awesome DVDs, um, I couldn't do anything with the but DVD. <laughs> because, because the Shout Factory discs were very affordable and so well oh, yeah, done they that, were, yeah. that anybody I knew who was interested in these films were just going to buy those rather than want my 
bootlegs, you know. There's, there's so, so the Shout Factory comes out. Then Mill Creek releases the entire series on Blu-ray. In high def. Yeah. In high def, which look fantastic, but have no extras. And the Shout Factory discs have the commentaries on at least, I think, the first two films and extras on them, but they didn't port those over. So, yeah, I certainly, you know, so basically, yes, I have... I have the Gamera series in four different versions right now that I'm stuck with. So yeah, that's, I, uh, that's it. Yeah, I, mean, <laughs> I still have my laser disc of the first film. If you'd like to, if you'd like hey, to add that I might to as your well. Collection. I might as well just. <laughs> <laughs> oh my yeah. God, we're sad in <laughs> So fucking sad. Anyway, but yes, but I, 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 I but I loved the the Gamera series. I'm going to say this too because this is the other thing I want to bring up. If I do highly recommend watching the Gamera movies. I love the, you know, I love the series. I love the character. However, I would really strongly advise if anybody out there is is hearing this, thinking like, yeah, I'm going to start giving these films a chance. Watch one, two, and three, and then wait. When you get to four through eight, wait a long space between each film <laughs> because once you start getting to the fourth film, is where they really started cutting the corners and really started using a lot of stock footage and course as a kid growing up and then when i got to see the later gamera films when they show them on tv of course they were showing them you know i'd see them months apart it it was kind of cool to see even the old footage of gamera because it was gamera and they were and the special right. effects are much better in the stock footage than they are in the the newer films. films uh they're great they're they're insane films they're really colorful they're a lot of fun uh yes they're full of annoying kids but you know <laughs> but but these plots are so ludicrous uh, and they do get more and more for kids and more and more humorous and all that. But, you know, it's it's. I find them very enjoyable. But I just, again, I would not watch 4 through 8 very uh, closely together. And 8 is really actually a a, a terrible film, but it's but it also has just so what's many... The, what's the name of that 8th one? It, that's a, a Gamera Super Monster, Super I think Monster, it's kind of... Okay. Uh, that, but that even that one has things that are just so totally out there and bizarre that you still have to just watch it to believe it, you know, to see it. So even that one, I can't say no, don't watch it. But okay. um, I'm also going to suggest watching Gamera the Brave, which was the the most recent film that was made. Now, there's there's kind of two strikes against it that I think put a lot of people off. One, unfortunately, is the design of Gamera himself could be better. They um, The film, and the second, and it's because of the strike two, which is, it, and I think it really turned a lot of people off after that 90s series, is Gamera the Brave is made for kids again. But unfortunately, they kind of softened the look of Gamera himself, which the old films did not do. They, they tried to make his look more kid-friendly. However, the special effects are fantastic, and it really tells a very moving story. It actually pulls some odd elements from the original film we've just covered tonight, uh, uh, John Monster Gamera. It actually, uh, there is a, a kid who is a character who does have a pet turtle, and I know that's you're thinking like, oh God, no, but believe me, he's no, he's no Toshio. He's a, it's actually a really, uh, it's actually, I thought Gamera the Brave was exactly, did exactly what it set out to do, and I thought it has some scenes that really were very moving, and uh, so, so, yeah, it's not going to compare it to the 90s series, which just kicked all kinds of ass, and it's just a fantastic series, but, yeah, no but, uh, but I, I, I think it, people should give Gamera the Brave a chance. Well, I'm, I'm more than willing to give Gamera the Brave a chance. I'm going to try to uh, watch um, more of the original Gamera series here in the next mm-hmm. few months, because mm-hmm. I'm just, I'm very curious. I'm not altogether sure that I want to take a a big honking run yeah. through the entire series yeah. Yeah. and do them as podcasts because I'm not sure what my reactions are going to be to the rest of the well, series because, yeah. as, I, as I said, there there's some rather uh, idiosyncratic reasons why sure. I get such a kick out of mm. this first movie, the first, mm. yeah. first of it being that it's a black-and-white film and therefore it kind of kind of tickles a certain uh, film fanatic bone in my... In the, mm. <laughs> it's somewhere in my brain yeah. that I can't mm. really control. But... Um, 
I'm very curious to see them uh, just because having experienced them uh, years ago in the guise of Mystery Science Theater episodes, I know they're batshit crazy and incredibly colorful. So that's reason enough to just check them out, you know, without mm-hmm. any interference and sure. without any joking, just to see what they're yeah. like in reality. Well, like, as I said, I, the second and third films, I truly enjoy it, especially the second film to me, which is very done very seriously with no no child as its main character and it's uh i i really think it's a really good film and i think the third film is a lot of fun and gauss is just a a fantastic monster design and so yeah if you don't get any further i would highly recommend second and third film so cool that's good to know because that, that anticipates one of the questions i had for you which is you know other than this film in the series which would you recommend and that kind of yeah it definitely out. the second yeah. one gamera versus barugan uh i would highly highly recommend cool cool i'm looking i'm like i say looking forward to seeing some more of those um this is a movie that uh i rated about a seven out of ten mm-hmm. um the uh the american version strangely enough i actually kind of have to give a different rating i give it about a six out of ten mm-hmm. because that extra yeah. link that just extra that, link you take what's of, such a nicely padded i mean nicely paced film and make it unnecessarily padded yeah, yeah. You, you stretch it out and it's kind of it's it's yeah. a ba- that's a bad idea uh it was much better done for the mm-hmm. Ga- for the godzilla film 10 years before mm-hmm. but i think that that harks back to the simple fact that i think more money was spent Bringing God, bringing Gojira over here and turning it into Godzilla, King of the Monsters, then was spent bringing Gamera over and turning it into Gamera with two M's, mm-hmm. the Invincible. Yeah. yeah. So uh, that may, you know, that just may be a function of uh, of money and time spent on the project. So, uh, a couple of friends of ours wrote a book that uh, I'm a big fan of, and I know that Troy, you've gotten a copy of as yes, well. Yes. Uh, a book called Sixty Shockers by Mark Clark and Brian Sin, and. Uh, it, it's it's a joy to read their reviews, even when I often disagree with their opinions. <laughs> Do you hear me, Mark? Mm-hmm. Oh, anyway, anyway I'm, not, I'm sorry. <clears throat> He's not Toshio. I don't dislike him <laughs> to that extent. But it was it is fun to read their takes on uh, movies, and then when you disagree, try to figure out if you can get an honest answer out of either of them about who wrote which synopsis and whose opinion I'm actually disagreeing with. But mm. nevertheless, uh, I do like the fact that. Uh, uh, in their write-up of this, even though they uh, they refer to the film as indifferently produced low-budget Godzilla knockoff, uh, I can't really agree with yeah, all that. Yeah, I think that's a little harsh. I think it? indifferently produced, I might disagree That would describe with. some of the later Gamera films, but not this one. Uh, I am amused by this segment from uh, 60 Shockers, and like I said, I don't know which of the authors wrote this, and Lord knows they'll both lie to me if I ask. Mm-hmm. Uh, it says, um, <clears throat> the film places a young boy in a central role. During one of Gamera's raids, the giant turtle saves Toshio's life. This convinces the boy that Gamera, quote, doesn't mean to be dangerous. He's just so big and clumsy. If people were kind to Gamera, I bet he could be trained to be nice and quiet like other turtles, unquote. Of course, it never occurs to Toshio that Gamera wouldn't have had to save his life if the monster hadn't attacked his family's home in the first place. The boy also overlooks Gamera's penchant for barbecuing fleeing extras. <laughs> as uh, as Rowan Atkinson might say, that's a fully-fledged bastard of a good point. <laughs> yes, yes it is. <laughs> with its cartoony monster and sympathetic juvenile lead, Gamera went over extremely well with young viewers who would become the fledgling series' primary audience. Yeah, uh, they make a really good point there. One that I was going to bring up, too, is... is um, I think through all this film, uh, even though we like Gamera, it's great that he, you know, does survive the film like most of the monsters didn't uh, still at that point. 
but I think we can agree that the humans had a point when they were trying to destroy him. He's, <laughs> yes. You know, it's, it's, and, and I like that aspect of the story is because it's not a case of, you know, of, the, of Gamera just being misunderstood. I mean, he's a pretty damn aggressive monster, and, uh, you know, I think that they can be totally forgiven for trying to find ways to freeze him and cook him and, you know, and do everything else. Well, there, there, is, that, there is that dream you have of, of somehow getting into the movie, and as Toshio is going, he's just misunderstood, taking the boy outside. <laughs> yeah. To some of the corpses. Some of the charred, you know, yes. Yeah, kind of shoving his face yeah. into the still smoking mm. <laughs> pile of human flesh <laughs> left behind by this fire-breathing goddamn turtle and going, really? Yeah. Are you serious here? <laughs> well, here I'm going to tell you something really interesting that August Ragone uh, had to say in the audio commentary was that there was actually a scene filmed for the for this movie that had Toshio running and playing. It was a dream sequence, and Toshio was dreaming of running and playing with Gamera in his really? dream. Yes. Uh, now he said it, it's it's they've never been able to prove whether they did list actors for the scene, but nobody really knows if this footage exists somewhere. If they actually got around to filming it, or if it was just in the script. Uh, but I think it's wise that they cut it because I like more the ambiguity of the... I mean, it still doesn't really... I think it would have messed with the tone of the film overall. Well, that and it would have pushed us to have to face up to <laughs> more than we have to already. Mm-hmm. Face up to the fact that there is something seriously wrong with that kid. Yes, yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely. So, anyway, I thought that was pretty interesting with, uh, with, with that. Uh, uh, you know, so, yeah, I think... I think in this case, uh, Gamera, maybe you couldn't call him evil, but he's 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 definitely more like the Godzilla in the nineties became where he's he's kinda like maybe not necessarily good or evil, but he's just basically he's he's, he's out to he's out to feast, you know, he's out yeah. to out to fill his belly and Yeah, he's he's got an he's got an agenda that has nothing mm. to do with ours and it, Or saving or saving children. Saving, yes, you know, exactly. Godzilla don't give a damn about your <laughs> children. Yeah. <laughs> The only reason he's fighting them monsters is because them monsters in the damn way. In his yeah, it's his territory. Um, <sighs> so, um, for where where do you rate the first Gamera film on the on the one to ten scale, or just uh, kind of in the hierarchy of giant monster films from Japan? I gave it a I give it a seven too. Oh, okay, okay. Seven was I really really liked the film a lot. Think it was uh, very impressive in a lot of ways, especially technically. I want to get into that in just a minute, but uh, um, yeah, I actually would call it I would consider it probably middle middle upper middle upper third I guess above average but you know maybe, above average, maybe yeah, yeah but above average I would say would, would be for sure okay. I think okay. it was I think I think it's definitely was a good kickoff to the series but I just want to say a few just kind of technical notes here about um, how really impressive what they pull off in the film is and how really impressive and how complex and 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 what a complicated thing Gamera itself is Gamera usually is, is often referred to as the poor man's Godzilla, you know, they'll call him sometimes, you know. Um, and, and a lot of that is reflected by the lower budgets and the kind of cutting corners in the later films. But when you look at, when you hear August Ragone's commentary and we describe some of the things they had to do to pull some of these effects off, uh, first of all, you mentioned that, you know, you see him breathe fire and you think, oh, they're ripping off Godzilla. Well, of course they are, but, you know, they didn't go the route with Godzilla, which was pretty much to draw to optically insert the flames or effects you know the flames are an optical effect i mean they got real friggin' flames coming out of these yeah i know these. And, and there was a point at which in a couple of shots i kind of thought to myself okay clearly whatever you know they're, mm. they've, they've constructed a different gamma head and kind of upper torso exactly. to do this or they'd be killing somebody yeah. but also i wonder what the hell they built that out of because mm. that's got to be very hot and i'm wondering if it's going to catch on fire or well, melt or anything like that well they actually made 25 different suits and miniatures of gamma throughout Ooh. the film are used 
And Ragone points out, and I, I agree with him that I think that the different types, because they're using everything from animated models to you know full suits to sometimes just bust or part of a suit, and I think that they all match up much better than a lot of Godzilla movies in the cases when some of the early Godzilla movies where they tried to do those things too, where they tried to you know match up miniatures with suits and all that. I, I think that these are very, these and maybe it's because the black and white helps, but they're a lot more seamless. I think these transitions or the comparisons between the suits is they look pretty consistent. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but no, there's no question that uh, there was a lot of danger involved uh, with these suits, and a lot. And you know, the guys who wore the Godzilla suits are justifiably lauded and kind of idolized, and you know, and become famous. Uh, but there was only three or four of them, and I, it occurred to me even as I was watching the film, thinking like, you know, I've never heard for all the Gamera films, I've never really heard a reference to any particular actor who's associated with playing Gamera and oh. the reason why is they used they really actually had to use a bunch of them because most of, a lot of them just quit or couldn't <laughs> you couldn't couldn't bear the you know or couldn't deal with the suit or just didn't have the physical strength to oh my God. to pull off the suit the the one name that August Ragone said that that can be who played the Gamera several who was in the suit more than anybody else was a guy named Katsuo Yagi but um, the suit weighed 110 pounds Good Lord. <laughs> yeah, so you can imagine being in that thing and trying to move in it. Um, yeah. The biggest incident they have um, had was when he's follow- when Gamera is, is following the line of flame, of oil, flaming oil. Through the water, yeah. Yeah, um, they apparently did have an explosion, that, uh, that, but luckily, in that particular scene, the Gamera suit, there was no one in it because uh, it, <laughs> it incinerated, it blew up, you know, the Gamera so, Oh, my God. So, uh, um, and uh, yeah, so, so they really, but just the way that they thought, the way they, they created the, the, the whole, first of all, they have the audacity of creating, you know, Gamera itself, you know, this turtle with tusk and, and breeze fire and and. and and shoots flame out of his arms and legs when he when he spins around. You know that's incredible. But the fact that they actually managed to pull it off so effectively and so and and, and had and made it such an iconic character. And he really is. I mean, every I mean, so many people know. You know who's the giant flaming? T- you know giant turtle that shoots flying fire. You know, I mean, he's he's yeah. he's. Uh, I mean, even if they only know him from Mr. Science Theater, yeah, they exactly, know him. they yeah. know who he is. So I think the film was was really pretty uh, pretty amazing uh, what they were able to to pull off technically with it there. I'm I'm a big fan, and I'm I'm mm. glad we finally sat down and talked about this movie because I think that there are a lot of Gamera fans out there, and uh, I think it it is because mm. probably at least because of Mystery Science Theater and mm. that amazing trilogy of Gamera films yes. in the '90s yes. that really kind of reignited everybody's interest. Very much um, so. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, uh, I, without without those, I mean, those those films are head and shoulders above oh, a lot of a lot of giant monster movies and. That yeah. makes, if nothing else, if mm. if uh, you never were able to even see if 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 a lot of the original Gamera films were lost or mm-hmm. or mm-hmm. in in some kind of horrible form, just the presence of those three movies from the '90s, I think, would elevate Gamera into the pantheon of great giant monsters. So I agree. Yeah. yeah. Cool. All right, folks. Cool. Well, we're going to take a quick break here and come back. Uh, we've got a couple of pieces of mail to uh, to touch on, and then uh, we'll close this episode out. spine-tingling, nerve-shattering podcast featuring all your favorite monsters. You won't believe your ears when you listen to Monster Kid Radio. Here are your hosts, Derek M. Cook, and his ever-rotating stable of guests discuss your favorite classic and sometimes not-so-classic monster movies. Subscribe to Monster Kid Radio 
through iTunes or Stitcher. Or visit monsterkidradio.net before the next weekly episode of Monster Kid Radio. Go through the archives for interviews with Sarah Karloff, Victoria Bryce, and Joel Hodgson. Listen to discussions about movies like Creature from the Black Lagoon, Island of Terror, and King Kong. And don't forget convention coverage from Monster Bash and the HP Lovecraft Film Festival, Classic Monsters, Modern Talk, and the Head of Rondo Hatton, only on Monster Kid Radio! It's 1966. The space race is on. The Cold War is heating up. And giant monsters are destroying Japan. Daikaiju Attack from award winning author Stephen D. Sullivan. Now available in all ebook formats on Amazon, Smashwords, Drive Through Fiction, and other quality outlets. Find more info at daikaijuattack.com sdsullivan.com and the Daikaiju Attack Group on Facebook. Join the action today. got a couple of pieces of email here I want to get to. Uh, some of these, uh, well, I, I tell you, just two, two specific little things, one short, one kind of long. Uh, one of them uh, relates to a podcast from several years ago here on the Bloody Pit, and i got to be honest, it actually relates to an episode that, Troy, you were not on, right? but I wanted to uh, talk, I wanted to uh, actually uh, re- read this one off and get your take on this, because it's on a subject that I know is near and dear to your heart, but that yeah. you've not actually... Uh, Talked about, I think, very much, except in passing on various podcasts. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, uh, although this relates to, also, I forget that all those podcasts are sitting out there, and even though this was done years ago, mm-hmm. there's still people who are going to stumble just, across yeah, it because right. they're interested in the subject, and therefore, hey, they might have something relevant to say. Yeah. No, it's a good point that out. We wouldn't want anyone who wants to correspond with us uh, about something that we, if you haven't, if you're just now discovering something we did five years ago and want to comment on it, then certainly don't feel like it's not, you know, that it's too late, like the time has passed or the window to to bring it up, you know, that, that, don't let that stop you from, from reaching out to us. Yeah, definitely. It doesn't matter how long ago the episode was. Mm-hmm. You got something relevant to say or something interesting to say, a funny story from your past involving that or whatever, let us know. Yes. All right, this is from uh, Kelly. Uh, says, uh, let's see, uh, hi again. Catching up on more shows that I miss I missed, I listened to your Coal Shack podcast. Uh, that was a long time ago, folks. <laughs> that was a while back. Uh, I remember seeing bits of the Night Strangler, 
which aired frequently in my area since the TV stations showing it were across the border in Washington State, not too far from Seattle. I learned so much about Seattle from Kolshak. <laughs> the first Night Stalker movie I did not see as a kid, and I had to make do with pictures of it in magazines. I first saw uh, around 1976 and wondering about what I was missing for years and years until the 1990s when it came out on home video. I guess. Uh, the series Kolshak, the Night Stalker, I remember seeing the night episode. That's K-N-I-G-H. Right. The, uh, yes, the, the, the nightly murders, I think, mm. is the name of that episode. Uh, possibly when it premiered, but I did not get to see most episodes until the 80s on CBS Late Night, which I tape-recorded and watched endlessly, mm-hmm. especially a few favorite episodes like The Werewolf, Chopper, Spanish Moss Murders, and Horror in the Heights. All good choices. Yes, very good. Stephen King talked about the series in his 1981 nonfiction book, Dance Macabre, and expressed dislike for it. I recall he focused on visible zippers on the Spanish moss creature and felt the Chopper story was very bad. Uh, I'd just like to jump in here and say... Yeah, really. Come on, Stephen. You should have been able to get past that. Back to Kelly's comments. Mm-hmm. Uh, despite King's criticism, I thought one of the impressively skillful things about the series was how well they presented the monsters for spooky effect, avoiding the usual pitfalls of shoddy monster costumes. You mentioned the lizard creature in the Sentry, uh, the Sentry episode, uh, swatting at the lights, mm-hmm. uh, basically because that's one yeah. smart way to, to for the monster to have an aversion to light and therefore doing away with, with as much light as possible, yes. therefore keeping it in shadow, yeah. keeping it in darkness. And admittedly, that was one of the monsters that should have been kept in, in shadow. <laughs> <laughs> yes, they, they were smart. As a kid, I loved the whole idea of a dinosaur loose down in the bottom of a base, of a hospital or whatever it was. Yeah. Or down the, but now, that was a great idea, but... Yeah, uh, on, in retrospect, the costume was not, the, the creature itself could have been It was better. probably yeah. the weakest of their costumes, yeah. I'd yeah. say. Um, also, how they showed the moss creature in the distance through glass, or the rakshasa in close-ups from behind in Horror of the Heights, uh, fast glimpses of the werewolf on the ship, or the vampire who does not talk except for snarls and hisses, which for something as commonplace in 1970s horror movies as a vampire was quite refreshingly ingenious, in my opinion. For a few years before Darren McGavin died, he had a website, and there was a decent amount of stuff on Kolshak, including his views on episodes and his notes on script revisions for episodes that were not made, like Eve of Terror. I have not seen this show myself, but several Kolshak alumni appeared together in an episode of Police Story from 1974 called The Ripper. Uh, No relation to Jack the Ripper. Uh, Darren McGavin, Kathy Brown, John Fielder, and Barry Atwater. Hmm. Final trivia note from Kelly, there was a 1970 TV movie called Along Came a Spider where Barry Atwater and Richard Anderson appear on screen together as judge and lawyer. <laughs> so, if you're watching if you're watching television in the 1970s, yeah. actors from The Night Stalker <clears throat> and The Night Strangler and Kolshak, The Night Stalker, the TV series, <clears throat> were in a lot of different things together, which shouldn't shock anybody, I guess. Uh, but the thing is, uh, everybody... <laughs> Well, everybody who's ever written to me or commented about it uh, loves the podcast we did on Kolshak years ago. And uh, we kind of thought that we would eventually do another episode on, on Kolshak, mm-hmm. maybe to cover the, the two TV movies, the, the pilot, the, what, what turned out to be pilots for the series. Uh, we've never gone back to talk about Kolshak, but we continue to mm-hmm. get feedback on it. And I know that you are a fan of the show, too. And oh, I just yes. wondered, um, uh, I, I've, I related in uh, the previous podcast what uh, my story of... Uh, delving into the joy that is Kolshak the Night Stalker was. 
What are your memories? When did you, I mean, I'm assuming you saw it when it was first being broadcast as well, right? I sure did. When they premiered on television, I remember uh, watching it and just, you know, I mean, they were creepy. I mean, as we all know, well, well those of us who, who uh, were old enough to grow up on 70s uh, made-for-TV movies, uh, that, that uh, they didn't shy from actually just trying to scare the hell out of you on the, in a lot of those. And no, a lot of, no. There's a lot of made-for-TV movies and TV that uh, that was genuinely creepy, pretty scary stuff. I was already a big horror fan, monster fan, but there were definitely uh, episodes of Night Stalker that had me kind of peeking, you know, pe- peeking, <laughs> peeking between my fingers there. Of course, I had to. It was like, oh, I don't want to see, but I got to, you know, which I loved. You know, I love oh, the fact yeah. that it's getting so caught up. Um, you know, the, it's amazing sometimes when you think back about that the series only lasted one season because in that one season they covered so much. I mean, there were so many, yeah. such a rich array of classic monsters and also monsters that they dug out of mythology and some really out there bizarre ideas uh, that were just fun. Um, my own favorite <coughs> memories of Night Stalker, though, are when I first, exactly what Kelly refers to is that 80s, uh, when they started rerunning an 80s late night, yeah. here in Nashville, it was it was a great lineup. Um, Friday nights were great for me because they would show, if I recall rightly, I don't remember the exact order, but there were several shows that just lined up. I think they were even on a couple of different channels, but they lined up perfectly. One, they would it would it would be the old I don't know if you remember the old TV series Soap, uh, the comedy yes. series Soap. Loved it, yeah, hilarious show. Uh, SCTV, I know you know we're all big SCTV fans. Yep, and was part of that lineup too. And the Night Stalker was always part of that lineup. And so every Friday night, I was I just always was look forward to to just digging in and you know settling on the couch and watching that all the way all those shows back to back. But um, so that's really kind of where my fondest memories of the Cole Shack uh, comes from. Is not necessarily the I don't you know I was I was so young when the first series ran through. I remember yeah. vaguely watching it. But where I really began to to do my memories of really watching the episodes, and even then, even in the eighties, I mean, I still found some of those episodes really creepy. I think the zombie episode is one of the scariest. Uh, things ever done for television you know without giving anything away to people who have have seen it there's the the whole climax of the it show is i think one of the most tension-filled sequences as well as also the jack the ripper episode uh is is an incredibly eerie and and, and tension-filled uh episode as well um so yeah that's uh those are probably those may be my two favorite uh, episodes of the series would be the jack the ripper and the zombie episodes but oh yeah uh, horror in the heights is awesome too yeah horror uh, in the heights is one that i think is just phenomenal so it is and and let's say too that really what drives the whole thing that you appreciate more even more as an adult is darren mcgavin's performance i mean it's it's for all that when you're a kid you know it's monster of the week you know where's the monster next all that but as an adult you begin to just appreciate that that the dialogue is so crisply written and darren mcgavin's portrayal of that character is is just such a great center point for that show. Yeah, uh, it's just one of the I think one of the iconic characters and performances in television ever. I mean, he's just just so so well done. Uh, I would also uh, uh, Kelly may or may not know this, but of course, as all of us as kids who grew up on the Night Stalker and became adults and began doing their own creative things, the Colshack character. You can find many, many books and comic books, you know, out there um, if you're interested in, because in, it is tough when you've only got that one season and then, and then it's over. But if you want to, if you really love that Kolchak character and you want to see what other people have done with that idea, um, there's a lot of, of a lot of people have have, have done modern Kolchak stories. Oh, yeah. So, lot, yeah, so if you don't know about that, Kelly, I advise you to seek out some of this, some fun Comic books, short stories, novels that are all been done with, Lot, with lots Kolchak. of great short story collections put out by uh, Moonstone Press. Yeah, yeah. that uh, I've thoroughly enjoyed. Uh, I'd also like to add that uh, if you are interested in more uh, Cole Shack podcasting, 
Uh, Mike White from the Projection Booth has started up with a, a uh, podcasting partner. He started up a show where they're going through uh, all of the Shack stuff. It's a podcast called The Shack Tapes, and I've been enjoying the show. Even when I find myself disagreeing with one or the other of the co-hosts, they have some really great um, interviews. They've got, had a couple of guests so far. They've, uh, they're trying to go uh, very carefully through the entire series. They, of course, started with the, the Night Stalker and then the Night Strangler. And then they detoured just a little bit into the Norlis tapes because that was actually the, yeah. the third film kind of... It wasn't, it's, not, it's not a Kolshak film, but in talking about the Norlis tapes, you're kind of talking about the same people who were involved in making the, uh, the first two films. And it allowed them also to talk about the unproduced third uh, TV movie, The Night Killers, which they have this, you know, they say have the script of, and they discuss that at length. Uh, the third, the third film, The Night Killers, did not get made, although they were literally just about to make it because they decided instead to do the series. And then uh, here they, they've also been going through the uh, the episodes in the order, I think, the order in which they were originally aired. So they started with The Ripper. Uh, the latest episode is on the zombie. And uh, to lighten things up and to kind of you know extend the life of it, they also talked about the uh, pilot episode of the 2005 attempt to bring the Night Stalker back, uh, beca- because they were able to talk to um, the uh, one of the uh, the show he the, uh, talked to the showrunner who's also one of the guys Frank Spotnitz who uh, worked on the X Files mm-hmm. and uh, recently uh, uh, has been uh, do- he's been the showrunner for the excellent Amazon series uh, Man in the High Castle. Uh, so they got an interview with him, talked with him about uh, you know what the hell went wrong with the Night Stalker 2005. Yeah, so that was fascinating. I still, yeah, I still to this day have not seen a single episode of that. Uh, I have I, not I, either. I, yeah. I just, yeah, I, I heard so, you know, I, I, I just never heard anything positive about it, and just, but I actually had planned on seeing it for myself at some point, and just never have gotten around to it. But. Well, that's a, then it's well worth listening to uh, Frank Spotnitz's the the interview they have with him because uh, there's a. <laughs> You, you will hear every reason why that show failed. Yeah, there probably was good ideas along the way that it yeah, might have, that yeah. might have, could have saved. Very, saved. very interesting. Uh, let's just say that uh, some of the problems that they ran into with uh, violence in the original series uh, castrated mm. that attempt at a yeah. reboot. Yeah. So, wow. uh, very interesting. But we've got one more short piece of right. email to get to here before we close this episode out. This is from Michael. He says, I dug your Inquisition commentary. Thank you very much, sir. Yes, thank you. Uh, and speaking of commentary tracks, check out the commentary track for Incident at Loch Ness, featuring uh, Werner Herzog. I love that movie. and I, I've not it. seen that movie, but oh. I'm, a, I'm a big fan of, Ver, Ver, uh, of Werner Herzog. So oh, it's, yeah, uh, I love Herzog. I and I can just listen. I can listen to Herzog say anything because he's got such a wonderful voice, but uh, he, I'm sure his audio commentary is great. But no, if you haven't seen Incident at Loch Ness, it's a hoot. It's uh, basically a mockumentary if you will you know uh-huh. that's uh, uh that hurts all participated in and and it's just uh, it's it's a blast it really is so yeah i'd highly recommend it cool cool something i need to check out uh, also he says uh i thought the mummy was great that's the the recent uh film with uh, tom cruise the universal horror film mm-hmm. I think they borrowed some creep factor from Curse of the Mummy, and of course, Curse of the Mummy. I think he's right. They, uh, yeah, I remember you because uh, we were talking about this before we actually did the podcast. Is that you did enjoy the film, and, yeah. and I know you're a mummy, you know, connoisseur, so you would definitely not be, uh, you'd definitely not be so easily pleased with that sort of thing. I mean, True. you were wanting to go in and have fun, but you would, you know, I'm sure you would be on your guard for just or you know wanting to see something really good. I know you liked it, and I think in your review you said that there's some actually some pretty creepy stuff in there. There is some really creepy stuff, and the thing the thing is, I think the this new mummy film was something that you know a large amount of the fan base had decided they were going to hate before they ever saw yeah. f- an inch of footage, mm-hmm. and so I, I find that attitude to be both self defeating and and 
ignorant, but I can't do or say anything about the success or failure of the film that uh, essentially walked out of the gate striding through molasses. There's just mm-hmm. there's no way to turn back the tide when so many people have got the knives out before the film even strikes a screen. So, uh, I, but I do think he's right. I I did en- uh, I I also enjoyed the Mummy. I thought it was a, a lot of fun and actually uh, had a, a number of surprises within it that that I felt were really well worth checking out. But he's right to uh, call out. Uh, a lot of things kind of taken from uh, Hammer's film, *The Curse of the Mummy's Tomb*. There's a, there's a, there's a, there are a number of elements that uh, come from that film, and of course, that's not a, that's not something I have a problem with. Um, in a lot of ways, this new Mummy film really is an adaptation of the Bram Stoker story that w- that's been adapted yeah. a couple of times already. Yeah, I wondered uh, about that. Yeah, yeah, it's, 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 uh, re- it really takes a number of elements from that, and of course. So did Curse the Mummy's Tomb. There's, sure, yeah. there's been there's been more than a few uh, steals from <laughs> Bram Stoker's yeah. story. Uh, I I did uh, a couple of years ago go back and see the adaptation with Charlton Heston called The Awakening, which turned out to be a better film than I remembered it being. But it also involves uh, you know a female kind of in a position of uh, possession, mm-hmm. reincarnation, stuff like that. Something I I, I won't talk about it to give away because I think these are movies that are. Well worth seeing, especially if uh, you like the shambling Egyptian dead. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. if some you do you not, do. some of us do, uh, some of us don't. I'm not going to punch Troy. Mm-hmm. I would never punch Troy. I love Troy. I will make fun of Troy. <laughs> That's all I will do. He likes women. I mean, <laughs> what? What are you doing now? What psycho, crazy, batshit thing are you about to say? Uh, I was just going to say, he likes his women to dress as mummies and shambles. I don't know. Is this, is this some comment about what I said at G-Fest, which is, my God, this place is full of MILFs? Is uh, yeah, yeah. That's, yeah. And I thought it meant mummies, I'd like, you know. But it's actually, but I realized that you realized a little bit later what you meant. <laughs> yes, trade off. Trade off your innocent public persona once more mr gwen you lying sack uh, well thank you michael for uh agreeing with me that the mummy is a pretty good little film i, I know that there are few and far of us uh, there there are a few of us out there willing to admit that it was a fun little movie and well worth checking out far too many people who've decided it's shady without mm-hmm. ever stepping foot into a theater so ha with that little <laughs> that little rant mm-hmm. off of my back. I man, I've been bad this episode. <laughs> this has not been good. I apologize for anyone who's been offended by my uh, well, not my what language, but just my sad attitude. Boys and, uh, yeah, like, yeah I, into... <laughs> I, I've threatened the life of uh, uh, of a young Japanese child. And, uh, <laughs> I've in, I've insulted fandom slash geekdom to mm-hmm. high heaven, so mm-hmm. I guess I'm sorry. We found a plot for the next Gamera film: Rod versus Gamera. Gamera has to protect the children of Japan from from, <laughs> from me. From Rod. <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> and on that note, right. folks, uh, we'd like to tell you what we're doing next. But to be honest, I'm I'm we have, it, no, we have no idea at this point. No. You'll know when we know, or somewhere in that area if you have suggestions there's a thing called facebook and there's a thing called email and you are welcome to use either one or both please to do send us suggestions things you'd like to see in here there's both a nashi cast facebook page and a facebook page for the bloody pit you can also uh visit us uh in uh cyberspace by email mm-hmm. you can email if you've got uh, if you want to send us uh, your thoughts in voicemail form you can record an mp3 send them that way the email address for the bloody pit is the bloody pit at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. And uh, if you've got some ideas for something that you'd like to see us cover, if you'd like to see us dive into whatever is considered to be the worst Gamera film, hey, 
What the heck? I'm more than willing to try. I, I clearly, clearly have no taste. So, <laughs> thank you very much for listening to us. I am Rod Barnett. I'm Troy Gwynn. Bye-bye. Do Certainly do not. How do our theme songs stack up against songs from yesteryear? Oh, well, it's interesting that you asked that because the opening lyric of uh, the Gamera song has sort of a Rogers and Hart feel to it. Let me show you what I mean. Gamera. Gamera. But then the second part is a little more fun, has sort of a George and Ira Gershwin feel to it. Shell teeth, eyes, claws, scales, breath, fun. It sort of sneaks up on you, boo, it says. Gamera's enchantment still grows. He fills our hearts with love. Gamera's the latest thing. He fills our hearts with spring, spring, spring. Anytime you want some moonbeams, Gamera is the thing. Gamera is really neat. He is filled with turtle meat. We all love you, Gamera. Ah, uh, kill him. Better yet, I'll kill him. You push the button. Yeah.